Viewer discretion is advised. You ever be scared of your dad? You know, 50 men in a room, 40 of them will say yes. You ever wet the bed when you're little? Because you were scared? Yep, me too. Mandate. Welcome to Mandate, where we never get fresh perspectives and nothing is off the table. Tonight's guest is from Tāmaki Makoto Okilari. He is an amazing educator. He's also a motivational speaker and also an activist in terms of social injustice, sexual um, abuse and so forth. Uh, the man has also been in the fight game for many years, for over 20 years. The man is also a multiple uh, Muay Thai champion in New Zealand, Aotearoa. He's also a PT, personal trainer, and also has trained um, a, a plethora of amazing athletes, amazing um, fighters uh, who are successful fighters in New Zealand, Aotearoa, New Zealand. And so the man has an amazing story to share. Please put your hands together for the one and only Richie Hardcore! <laughs> Yo! That is the best intro of any podcast I've ever done. Thank you very much. Oh, man. You killed that. No, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you for uh, for being here. I think it's a real uh, pleasure and a real privilege for for Jamin and myself to have you in in the studios tonight. And so, bro, um, just to get the ball started, please tell us, Richie, because I know you're a well-sought-after man in terms of uh, speaking engagements and so forth. And so what's it been like in terms of after COVID and pandemic and the pandemic, but also more so now, that you've been um, out there educating and also social injustice and so forth. Just tell us what's been what's been happening, brother. Yeah, it's been really busy this year. Yeah, so I, I talk about um, domestic violence prevention and sexual violence prevention, and I talk about um, masculinity. Like, what are our cultural ideas and expectations of boys and men, and where do we get those from? What's healthy and what's not healthy, and how does that play out, right? And actually, you know, you mentioned COVID. Over COVID, we saw a big rise in family violence reporting, you know. And, um, yeah, we're actually having, like, quite a cultural moment where we're talking about our ideas around masculinity. Um, People like Andrew Tate have exploded into the public consciousness. And schools really started calling me and like, yo, can we talk about Andrew Tate? Do you talk about Andrew Tate? Can you come talk about Andrew Tate? (laughs) Oh, my God. I, I, so I spent a lot of time like looking at his content in particular and also trying to understand the popularity of someone like that. Why are young men looking for role models and leadership, even if it's not healthy, right? So I've been really busy speaking in schools. I've been doing a lot of professional development work with teachers. I've been working with the Ministry of Social Development. Um, we have a big hui down in Wellington where um, be speaking with a bunch of different change makers, like men who've got different projects um, popping off, uh, working with men around healthy masculinity. Uh, and yeah, it feels really great to be sharing my personal story, but then my education, you know, like I, I have a master's degree in sociology, looking at um, the social construction of masculinity and yeah it's all been cool man like i've 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 found a nice niche like yesterday i ran a workshop that we call level up and uh, i first started that in 2020 or 2021 it's really grateful to apply for some funding through my charitable trust and um yeah we had like 35 <clears throat> mma kickboxing muay thai guys there and they come train with guys like Cal van roon who's 11 time world taekwondo champion you know, he works with like Israel Adesanya and the UFC stars at CKB. My bro, Mark Timms, who's like a former top ranked glory fighter in kickboxing. He's also worked down at CKB. So they run 90 minute workshops for striking, right? 
But then I met, then I give a one hour talk about masculinity, domestic violence, mental health, and then my bro Peter Thorburn, who's like, and I'm, you should have him on the show. He's a fascinating guy. Peter um, is a fascinating guy. I let him tell his own story, but he's one of the most like educated, knowledgeable, charismatic educators around drugs and mental health. You know, because a lot of people come to the fight game from that world. You know, and. I always thought, well, these dudes are never going to come to like a lecture about healthy masculinity, right? Or healthy relationships. So bring the mountain to Muhammad, right? And um, yeah, it was packed. Everyone, the feedback's been real good and people want me to run more of them. And um, yeah, it's all really fulfilling, you know? I'm really stoked to be doing that. And then we're talking before the show started, I got a little baby and I got a stepson and I got a beautiful partner. So just trying to balance the, the activism and the education with the final, you know? Yeah, yeah, life's good. And I'm training some fighters, training some good fighters. I've got a couple of good boys um, at top, really top level. And then I've got like, um, you know, guys coming up too. And I do some charitable work with Rangatahi who've kind of slipped through the cracks, you know, getting some referrals from Rangatamariki and stuff. And just trying to use what helped me, you know, martial arts and discipline and then education as I got older to sort of, mm Give young kids kind of what I needed when I was young. Yeah. Oh man, you're busy, man. This guy, you're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Awesome. My fiance's pretty, fiance pretty grumpy with me a lot of the time. It's like, can you stay home? Busy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super busy. Are you getting uh, paid for this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, sorry, babe. Oh, I'm trying my man. Best. That's hard. That's hard. That's hardcore, bro. Hardcore, <laughs> busy. But I'm just wondering because obviously you mentioned Andrew Tater. Um, Richie, I know it's quite popular with our, our younger generation, mm. our, our young men, and people are like, oh, cool, Andrew Tate. Obviously, he was, he was in the fight game as well, kickboxing as well. Yo, top so, level. Yeah, yeah, like, top level. Good fighter, you know? Good fighter. And so, obviously, we've, obviously we, we'll kind of delve into your story as well, um, Richie. But in terms of Andrew Tate and, and that toxic masculinity, because it's, it's massive, eh? It's mad. People are talking about it. Um, and a lot of people, uh, you have the, obviously, you have the feminist movement and so forth, and they're kind of against the toxic masculinity. But in terms of New Zealand, what are you seeing here in, in, in our men, and across the board, young men, older men? Is, is this something that we should be alarmed about, or is it like <clears throat> we just need to be educated? Yeah, I think, I think in part, if I'm trying to be objective, right, the appeal of Andrew Tate is because people use terms like all these cis white men and their toxic masculinity are bad people on account of their interests or you know right but people don't understand the difference between masculinity which is gender and male which is sex do you know what i mean mm. so when people hear toxic masculinity they hear or interpret it as as men are bad but we're not saying that we're saying that the social expectations of men the social behaviors that we expect of men the beliefs and values and ideas that we sort of place on men from childhood can in fact be toxic unhealthy now in my co-papa and my mahi i never used the word toxic the phrase toxic masculinity because i've done this work for a long time now right and i used to go out there and be all like academic feminist guy and bros just be like <laughs> fuck off can i sorry can i swear in your <laughs> yeah, 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 like, course, right and then i was like oh yeah so i was really popular with like other activists but the actual bros that i want to talk with because i want I want them to be healthy as much as I want to stop domestic violence, which is like, nah, gee, I'm not, what, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? So actually the more educated I got, the more experienced I got in the, the mahi, the more I was out, we're working with men, 
going to Porimorimo, working with sports teams. The more I just was like, oh yeah, I should just talk like I'm at training. <laughs> yeah, like, you're coaching. Yeah, yeah, I'm just talking. <laughs> and then I'm like, and then you just talk like a normal person and you sort of Trojan horse and the, the educational aspect of it. And you're like, you would be scared of your dad? And, you know, 50 men in a room, 40 of them would say yes. You know, did you ever see your parents be violent? Did you ever say anyone ever call you a homophobic name? Because you, you know, you're a little bit different. And they go, yeah, how did that make you feel? Oh, not very good. You ever wet the bed when you're little? Because you were scared? Yep, me too. You know, like, why were you scared? Oh, because my dad was violent or my dad, you know what I mean? Well, that's toxic masculinity. That's what we're talking about, you know? If we say being a man is being tough, having power over a woman, being homophobic, um, using violence and aggression as a problem-solving tool in a way to gain social status. Do, do, do you know what I mean? If we um, pursue money and power at the expense of our personal relationships, none of those things are particularly healthy. Can we agree on that? Yeah. But but that's kind of a lot of the narrative that we get given from a really young age, right? Think about uh, some of the movies that we watch or the the videos that we glorify or the music that we listen to and this limited role of what being a man that comes through that. Because you look at billboards and advertising, even things are changing, things are getting more mm. diverse and expansive. But I, I ask young men, like, what do you think of when you think of masculinity? They always list action movie stars, athletes, maybe a powerful business mogul and a sports person, right? You know, that's who sticks out in your public consciousness. It's never like a dad who just might just be a mean stay-at-home dad. It's never anyone who's gay it's, or it's never anyone who's a poet or an author or a scientist or an academic or an environmentalist. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And all those are perfectly healthy, great roles for men, you know, but we don't celebrate them the way that we celebrate people who are good with violence and athleticism and, or ostentatious, you know, presentations of wealth. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, you listen to, I grew up on hip hop and punk rock and heavy metal, aggressive music. Hardcore is actually a style of music, right? And, I, you know, I heard NWA when I was like 11, 12, 13. You too, right? I imagine. And I was like, yeah, fuck the police, mean. A gangster, gangster, mean. And I'm like a white boy from Glen Eden. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and, and we all kind of like lean into that. And, and, and we lean into trying to emulate, yo, you know, I was a fruity kid. You know, I went to Calston Boys and it was tough in the 90s. And we got hassled because I had pink hair and a nose ring. And I used to be like really into like Nirvana and grunge. And I was, I was not like stereotypically masculine at an all boys rugby school. You know what I mean? And we got hassled all the time. Like me and my friends are like punks and weirdos, you know. But then, then I got on a fight at school one day and I'd been doing training for a couple of years and did all good. And then instantly I got like a bro pass. I suddenly was like, cool. I went from being an outside dude to UTs to being cool. Oh, bro, I heard you jumped in. Yeah, the man. And on a subconscious level, I liked that. You know, I took my nose ring out, cut my hair into like a fade, got fades from, the, fade, from yeah. the barbers, you know. Started wearing baggy jeans, size 38 Origins, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I'm like, oh, now I'm a, I'm, I've got a, I've got, I'm leaning into that social idea of masculinity that I'm meant to be like. But it, I think a lot of us do that on some level. And um, 
it's kind of like a shield and a mask and an armor for all the stuff that's really happening inside of us. You know, like working with men who come from the criminal justice world or, you know, I do, I'm part of, do some assistance with rehabilitative programs that like dudes and gangs and stuff. Honestly, sometimes like the harder they are, the more wounded on the inside they are. And you put like this thick armor of tattoos and a patch on, no one's going to fuck with you, right? Mm. But it's protective and actually it's not healing. Do you know what I'm saying? And so when we talk about toxic masculinity, which I like to just call stereotypical masculinity or old-fashioned masculinity, we're just talking about those social ideas that actually aren't good for us as as men, you know? Like um, they come a barrier. All the, that armor that we, we talk, I'm trying to explain, mm. I think, um, yeah, it can keep us safe to a, to a level, but it does. it also becomes like a wall like, to let love in and let love out and it becomes a barrier to you know connecting with our children as you get older perhaps with our friendships with our with our lovers and then eventually you get shut off you know what becomes armor becomes a prison and you know i like i never was a gangster or nothing like that but i definitely lent into that to some degree in my 20s and stuff i was like yeah i'm the man i'm a mean kickboxer yeah i'm the man i got all these tattoos now you know and you know, I was really insecure on the inside. You know, I was really insecure. Um, I didn't have good self-image. I never felt attractive. And so when I'd get like female attention, even when I was in a serious relationship, I'd lean into that and flirt and be inappropriate. And I have a lot of regret and shame about that behavior, but it came from a place of insecurity and a culture which also, not to excuse my own, youthful mistakes but a culture which also is like yeah real man has heaps of women you know, do, do, do you know what i mean and you, just, you and i think that's the joy of learning as you go older if you're open to it is seeing your mistakes and your errors and trying to learn from them and now i try and use that as why i do the work i do do you, see, do you know what i mean because no one ever told me any of this shit i had to yeah. figure it out through like making a whole bunch of mistakes you know Mm. Oh man, that's, that's, does that's, that make sense? That's, though? It does, hundred percent, man. It's, it's really good. You, obviously, you talk about social injustice and talk about social justice per se. That yeah, people toxic masculinity, uh, masculinity, and then you know the the pressures, the pressures of being this person because of. And you're right. I, I've I know guys who've gotten tattoos because of because of all the stuff that's happening inside. And oh, I just need to feel something. I need, mm. I need a it's like a sense of belonging. I need to if I fit in with the group or fit in with the certain. Um, um, group, so to speak, that I feel like I'm, I, I belong. Mm. But it's the, but you're right. The, the issues are still there. The the, oh. the hardships are still there. Um, so, but if you, maybe if you can tell tell us about your um, your issue as to why the insecurities you you, mm. you you talked about. Yeah. So, like you know, I've talked about this a lot publicly, and you know, I love my I love my father. I'm not particularly close with my father, but I love my dad. And when I started having a public profile, I asked him permission. I'm like, "Yo, can I talk about our life? Because you're a man in the world too." And he was like, "Yeah, if it's going to help other people and you're honest, all good." Um, he didn't say all good. He doesn't speak like I do. But, <laughs> but he's like, "Yes, you can do that, son." Um, yeah. So my dad, um, you know. I grew, I grew up in the 80s and um, my dad struggled with alcoholism and I would say undiagnosed depression and um, doing the work, I, looking back retrospectively, 
in doing the work I do. I used to work in alcohol and drug harm prevention at Auckland Council for a long time and I talk about mental health and all this sort of stuff. Um, I would say my grandfather was a heavy drinker. It turns out that my great-grandfather came back from the First World War um, traumatised, obviously, by his experiences there and abandoned my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, sorry, you know what I mean? So in the 1920s, being a single mum with three sons, my grandfather and his brothers, my great uncles, it's a tough time, right? And then, and, I, and in an era where our notions of masculinity, three men, four men didn't sit around on couches to talk about their feelings, you know what I mean? So that affected how my grandfather was raised and that affected how my father was raised. And, um, you know, I believe my father had some traumatic events in his childhood, which I've never really discussed with him. But it shaped him. So he grew up into a young man in a culture that was about hard drinking and working hard and playing rugby. And he just has worked really hard and drank. And um, I think my dad carries a lot of pain to this day. And, you know, I wrote about it in the paper. So fuck, I might as well talk about it. I asked him and, you know, my dad has relapsed in my entire life. So he, he, he was a, uh, you know, serious alcoholic who I'd see crying all the time and yelling and screaming and sometimes be violent to mum. Then when I was a teenager, he got sober when I was 10 or 11 and he went to rehab for the first time that I can remember after like um, going into like uh, when you're trying to withdraw and you're physically addicted to alcohol, like the extremity spectrum, your whole body can shut down. And that's what happened to my dad and he came to in the hospital. And so he had to go, he went to um, the bridge program at Salvation Army. So I was visiting my dad at rehab when I was a little kid. And then he was sober for five years, but my dad didn't work the steps. You know, my dad didn't do a 12-step program or see a therapist or do the work as we talk about it now, right? So my dad relapsed when I was 15 years old. And then I'm a young man now and there's this, you know, and so when my dad was out of line, I'd like challenge him, you know, and we'd have f physical confrontations and um, it's not the coolest shit for your development as a young man when you're like going through puberty and all your friends are drinking and doing drugs and you, you're interested in girls for the first time. So I wasn't good at, I was a really a top level student, but with a, like a bottom level work ethic because I was just like not applying myself because I had dramas at home, you know. Dad got sober again. He relapsed again when I was 31 and he relapsed again in 2020. And like in 2020, when I was trying to get my father into rehab, like because you need to do what's called a medical detox. You need to have barbiturates help you wean you off the alcohol, right? So your body doesn't just go poof and potentially kill you, right? And the waiting list is like six to eight weeks because we don't look after um, addicts well in this country. We don't have enough services for people with substance abuse disorders. But it was weird because I'd, I'd been in the, the game for a long time by then. And um, I'd ring up place and go, oh, hey, I'm looking for, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, is this Richie Harcourt? And I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, I've seen you present, bro. You know, like, and I was like, well, now you know why, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, dad struggled with all of that and that affected me. Yeah, I had really low self-esteem. My dad, you know, my dad is not a bad person. I think my dad is a good person with a good heart who never got the tools that he needed to navigate the world that he lived in and the traumas that he experienced. And I, I think that's true of most people who do bad things, right? Like I work with people now in my um, rehabilitative spaces 
who've done terrible things to other human beings, but I don't believe them to be bad people. I just think their actions are wicked. You know what I mean? And when you talk about their lived experiences, you're like, well, fuck, no one was going to help you. Of course that you're going to do something terrible. If you, do you know what I mean? doesn't excuse their violence or whatever it is they may have done, but it explains it, right? And I think we need to do that if we really want to stop that. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And that's true of my dad. I love my dad. I wish my dad was way closer with me because um, even at 43, I um, miss him. <laughs> Uh, if I'm honest with you all, like I miss him and I wish um, I could ring him and have a laugh and I could tell him about my son more and I wish he kicked soccer ball with my kids, you know, but he's not, doesn't seem emotionally capable because I'd be like, yo, what's up, dad? Fucking Raphael's nearly two. That's my son, Raphael, like your Ninja Turtles, you know, and um, he's doing this shit now. Do you want to come hang out? But. I think he carries some hurt that makes it hard for him to be close to us. So he's like, oh, I got work, I got work. He just works, you know what I mean? Because that's what men do, right? We yeah. work. We work and it becomes a part of that armour from letting the feelings in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so all that wasn't the best for me, you know? Like it um, wasn't once warriors or nothing like that. Don't get me wrong. I had good times too. I think that's what when we tell our stories, we can just lean into the bad times. Yo, my dad taught me to read, really literate. When he was bad in his behavior, um, he would be like, don't ever treat a woman like that. Like my father told me, despite his bad behavior, yo, this is not how to be a good man. You know, like he, my father was the first person who told me it's okay to cry. Like I got jumped in the city by some older guys when I was like 15 and got hiding. And um, I wasn't crying because I was upset. I was like crying because I was frustrated and I felt powerless. And uh, he told me it was all good. And that's a good lesson for a father to tell a son. You, do you know what I mean? He sat down, tried to give me a birds and the bees talk when I was 11. You know, which is cool. You know, like that. that's actually really progressive to do that. Like talking about sex with your son is something that I, as my co-papa now, like, yo, if you don't talk to your kids, porn's going to teach your kids. And porn's not a healthy model. My dad tried to do that, you know? Like, um, and I think we need to, Remember those things. A lot of the people who hurt us, we love. And it's complicated. I think I get frustrated with like cancel culture and all that because it's very binary. It's like black, white. You know, the world's this mad gray kaleidoscope of colors and, and it's complicated. Does, does that make sense? For sure, man. But yo, for me, so like all the growing up with all that chaos and drama meant that like chaos and drama feels real normal for me. So when I started having adult relationships, it's not like I was looking for like plain Jane. I was like, I'd meet, meet a woman and um, you kind of like, my spider senses are tingling. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, and then I, I could be like, oh, that didn't work out because they're crazy. But if I have to be honest, I go, that was a dramatic relationship because we're both crazy. I got my wounds, she got her wounds. In your early 20s, you don't have the ability necessarily, at least when I was young, to articulate your wounds and figure out how to navigate them together healthily. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure, man. So you just like act on your feelings and you act on your drama. And then you can fall into that cycle if you're not careful. But I'm, I'm happy that I went to therapy real young because I got tired of hurting. And therapy, like, pfft, you took me out of the cycle and started me on the process of getting to where I am now. 
Because otherwise we just keep doing the same shit again and again and again, right? Yeah, the cycle. Yo, right, the man. cycle just continues, bro. And then I'm really glad that, you know, I had a couple, I had a couple of relationships in that I'm real sad about, you know, like, uh, and and and, and um, that never violent or abusive or anything like that. But like, you know, I cheated and I carry a lot of shame and sort of fuck them all about that because I never wanted to be a bad man, you know. But I, I really hurt someone once in my twenties emotionally by cheating and. That to me was a real wake up call that I had more work to do to be a good man. You know what I mean? So that's my that's the thing I'm most shame of in my life is having an affair once. And so I was just like, yo, man, like I didn't have the tools. I did a, I did the wrong thing. I didn't know how to communicate my relationship. How do I stop that again so I can one day have a healthy relationship? And um yeah, went back to therapy. <laughs> a lot of therapy, a lot of books, you know, a lot of podcasts. And that's why it's cool we do all this stuff now, though, as men, you know what I'm saying, though? Because my story is far from unique. Like, my story is actually, if, you, if, if we drilled out, I imagine, like, half the brothers out there would be like, yeah, bro, I, I feel that. You do, do you know what I mean? And so it's like, we just got to be honest and talk about things honestly. And as men, we don't do that a lot. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's shameful to talk about some of that stuff. But if we don't talk about it and be like, oh, there's better ways to deal with your problems in a relationship than drugs, alcohol, violence, fucking around, cheating, then <laughs> we're never going to get better. But uh, do you know what I mean? You're right, man. You're right, Richie. And we've all got kids looking up to us or, you know, if you're, if you're, if, you know, you've had some really well-known people mm. on here and they've got good social media following and stuff. If they're out there on Instagram or TikTok, like recreating these cycles of unhealthy behavior, young people just think that's normal. You do, do you know what I mean? That's, so that's where when we were talking about Angie Tate, there's more to life than cars, money, heaps of women, being good with violence. But a lot of young men, that's all they see. Do you know what I mean? And they're like, yeah, that's, I guess that's normal. But if you're like, nah, bro, like, you know, the coolest shit, coming home to your kids, bro, that's the meanest shit ever. Like, that's being a real gangster, don't you reckon? Yeah. Like, loving your kids. Being there for, being being there for, for your kids. Being yeah, present for your kids. kids. You, you know, um, not leaving your relationship when it's hard, but working it out. It's easy to leave a relationship. It's, e it's, it's so easy to just, oh, yeah, mean, just leave another one out there. What are you going to do that? You're going to do that for your whole life. And just keep running away because you can't deal with a difficult situation. Do, do you know what I mean? Uh, but a lot of young brothers do do that. Tinder's easy, you know. Like it forces you, I think, to if you stay in a difficult situation to find tools. Do you know what I mean? Like a fight. Let's talk about fighting, right? Like you should never be fighting in your relationship. But to use the analogy. You can quit in a fight anytime it hurts. Uh, you can tap out. You can not come out of the corner. Do you know what I mean? Or you can try and reassess the situation after the round that you lost has happened. Get some advice from your corner man. Figure out what's going on and try again. And we can do that in all of our relationships. So that's our romantic relationships, our relationship with our kids, um, our friendships, our work relationships. Or we could just leave. And... But if we just leave, we're never actually learning the skills that we need to develop as human beings. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's cool, man, Richie, because I go, I'm glad you, you did mention that. that obviously, infidelity 
and cheating on, uh, you know, fighting with someone else. And then, because it's not, it's not really, really told, like, or been spoken on and some of the, the podcasts. We've, a lot of it has been like sexual abuse, violence, physical violence, verbal, um, verbal abuse. But in terms of um, cheating, you know, and I think people, like you say, Tinder, you have all these other websites, all that kind of stuff. But people don't really kind of, in terms of infidelity, I don't think a lot of our men like, it's just, it's just normal. That's just normal, man. You just give for another one. It's all good. <laughs> Bro, like, think of all your favorite rap songs right now, right? How many of them are about like having 37 side hoes or like fucking another man's bitch, no. right? And I like, don't get me wrong, like when that comes up on my Spotify, I'm like, yeah, this is banging, bro. Like, you know, like, <laughs> this yeah, is my, this my jam. This is my up, jam. Bro, yeah, this is I got a good cast stereo, bro, you know. <laughs> but um, I have two little kids now, you know, and, it make, and I'm like, fuck, this music sucks. I don't want my kids to li- listen to this, you know. And then I work with young men in the gym, and I'm like, I don't want them to live like this. I'm out here, like, yo, stay away from drugs. Yo, don't carry knives because, you know, stabbings are up 20%. Um, how are you dealing with your feelings? You know, that's, that's my actual work. Why would I, without critiquing it at least, just blindly absorb a lot of what popular culture <laughs> says is cool, right? Now, I don't believe in censorship or anything. And like, if kids were, and I do listen to that music sometimes, but I, I have to like critique it and be able to articulate it and realize it's like eating some chips. Like, yeah, all good. I like some chips sometimes. I actually like a lot of ice cream. I've got a real sweet tooth. But if that's my only diet, that's bad for my body, right? I'm going to get diabetes, chop off my leg sometime. I'm going to die early. It's the same with our mental diet though, right? If I, if I only eat that mentally, you know, it's going to be really bad for me. It becomes like normative. And actually, if I can talk about it critically and think critically I'm less likely to absorb it and internalize it and act on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really important. Talk about talk about everything and talk about the good and the bad. And, and I think a lot of us just go through life quite unconsciously, not because anyone's bad, but just because who's encouraged you to have that conversation? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's why, that's why teachers are cool. Teachers, yeah. coaches... Um, there are some actually good social media influencers out there who use their platforms for good um, to encourage expanding of consciousness. Some of the things are really awesome out there, but I would argue that all of those things are a little bit harder to find than the negative. I think the negative outweighs the positive. You do know what I mean? Yeah. It's like some David and Goliath shit. You're like, oh, yo, it's an uphill battle, <laughs> you know? That's why I really enjoy your podcast. No, for real. Like, I was, like, really thrilled that you invited me because you're having really honest conversations yeah. with men in a non-judgmental... You're not, like, hardcore, like, super, you need to be like this. You're just yeah. having honest conversations. And if we can all just have honest conversations, I think we're going to get somewhere eventually. It's cool. So man. you guys are awesome. I you're love right what you're on doing. the money there. Yeah, yeah. Right on awesome the money. Part. I think it's amazing how the power of a conversation like or in essence the power of absent conversations like if you mm. think of all that like i just i can only reflect on my own life but i just think of all the hardship i'd gone through because conversations weren't had either because my parents didn't know how to have those conversations because they never had them or i didn't know how to open up about certain things and so every hardship that's come every hard lesson that's come is because 
a conversation wasn't initiated on one side or the other. Um, so I really like you being able to share your own journey and just going back to you talking about your dad and, you know, trying to connect with him emotionally now. Um, and you mentioned him sort of being busy with work. I couldn't help but think any, just from what you've described of him, he sounds like a good man who maybe, I don't know, and you probably, I can't ask you to put yourself in his shoes, but it made me think that maybe there must be some guilt there. Mm. Um, because I imagine if he's a good man who's taught you certain things, there's guilt there about the way that he's lived his life at, in certain times and the impact it's had on you. And there must be guilt there in terms of his role as a father and just that conflicting, he's done some good things, he knows what's right, but at the same time, as an addict, you almost have no choice. Like you kind of almost count on the people around you to have to make those decisions because you're incapable yourself. And I only say that from my own experience. Um, and so I just think, I just felt for your dad as you were talking about oh, that. Thanks for having yeah, the so. Thanks for having the empathy. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, because, you know, when he relapsed, I was so annoyed at how long it took to get him a bed for, you know, medical detox. Like they have this whole process where they encourage you to go and do what's called maintenance drinking. And they're like, okay, go away and just drink a little bit so your body doesn't freak out. But for someone who's a really serious substance abuser, that's like a death sentence for over six weeks or eight weeks. So I asked dad, I'm like, dad, you know, I'm like a degrade public figure. <laughs> can I, can I write an article for the paper? You know, the Herald, you know, because I really wanted people to know. And he was like, yeah, all good, you know. And I let him proofread it, you know, make sure he's all, you know. And it's honest. I'm, I don't sugarcoat nothing. And um, people were really empathetic. Like, you know, you read the comments in the Herald, often they're full of barbarians who are like absolute <laughs> savages. Like, like, holy shit, Ragnar, chill out. Like, people are so mean on the internet. But people were really nice. People were like, I'm really sorry, how's your dad doing? Because he's sober now, you know, he's off the alcohol. Uh, yeah, I think there is some of that guilt. And... I've told him, I'm like, I don't care. Like, do you know how much money I've spent on therapy? You know, like, we good, dad. You did the best you could with what you had. It wasn't all bad. Yeah, it was hard in lots of ways. But it was good in lots of ways. And, and you know, I'm trying really hard to talk about the good stuff as much as the bad stuff. Because I worry that in this social climate... We can almost romanticize being a victim and feel sorry for ourselves, but that's not empowering, you know? Fuck, bad shit's always gonna happen to you, bro. There's living, life's hard, but we have a choice about how we respond to it. It's not who I am, it's just something I went through. It's not like, a key. it shapes my identity. Uh, that would be untrue to say otherwise. I mean, I'm covered in <laughs> tattoos. <laughs> my name's hardcore, but... Um, <laughs> It's not everything there, you know what I mean? Like, I, and I worry that with social media and, and, and stuff like that, I see a lot of young people uh, kind of, I'm a victim, this is who I am, this is my key identity. And that I think that's disempowering and actually robs us of our agency because we do get choices. Do, do you know what I mean? And that's what working with people in recovery has taught me. You know, I work with some, like, people who've had real hard lives. Like, my life hasn't been difficult, but I, I, it's not. Like, I've had so much good stuff around me. My life's awesome. I'm so grateful for my life. Do you know what I mean? You know, I was talking to my brother from Russia. 
he came over here when he was 13 and he did some hood shit when he was young. He's really successful in business and stuff now. And and he goes, you you need a bit of trauma, bro. Like it drives you, bro. Like you need just enough, you know? And maybe he's right. I don't know. You know, I'm like, maybe my kids are going to be real boring. But at the same time, I'm real thrilled how absolutely different my childhood is to my kids' their childhood. You know, my, my kids are just happy. They're just nice little middle-class life. You know what I mean? We worked, I worked really hard to come from where I am to like make something of my life. And I'm real stoked. I'm not rich or famous or nothing but just having two kids who aren't scared of their dad and they're excited for me to come home and they want to wrestle and you know like to go to school and have lunch it's that's success for me do, do you know what i mean everything else is just a bonus yeah yeah anyway i do think yeah we need to do a better job of um teaching people that they do have choices because working with people in recovery people who've been in the criminal justice system and who have been structurally perhaps excluded from uh, perhaps easier pathways than people who are born into financial stable environments, financially secure stable environments have been, right? Because I think we need to acknowledge that like our social capital and our economic um, options do to some level impact our outcomes, but they're not everything, right? But if you're born into like a cycle of violence and addiction, there's a high likelihood you'll recreate that, right? Through no fault of your own. But when you get to a point of change making and you choose to take that change, that's really powerful. You know, I was talking to a woman from prison and she'd done some bad stuff. She was potentially going away for a long time. And I was like, I'm really sorry. And, she's, and you know what she said to me? I fucking did it. I got to, I got to do with it, you know? And I was like, yo, no, ex zero excuses. She just said, I did it. I got to do the time. And she's like, it's all right. You didn't do it. <laughs> what are you saying? Sorry for it. Do you know what I mean? And like, I knew her life and it was a real rough life. And she still had that. And I thought, wow, that's real powerful to take ownership like that. When I see all these people on social media going, blah, 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 this happened to me, poor me, I stubbed my toe. I'm not trying to diminish people's pain and suffering. I'm really not, dear listener, viewer, wherever you're watching this. But we can balance acknowledging that difficult things happen to us, like really difficult things, painful, you know, and that can shape our life outcomes with we still have agency and choice once we've had some degree of knowledge acceptance awareness to make better decisions right i was talking to someone today actually i can't remember who it was and i was like look first couple of times you do something bad and make a mistake i don't even hold you accountable because you're acting on programming a lot of the time you're acting on conditioning you're acting on role modeling you're acting on social environment you know after that though then you're being an asshole because <laughs> you, sh you should have at least woken up to after the first couple of times you're unaware. And then if someone, okay, if someone then sits down with you and is like, Hey, if you keep doing this, this is what's going to happen. If you consider this, here's some options. Here's a therapist. Here's, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, nah, I'm all good. Then yes. Then you're making a decision to some degree. And it's a balance that I'm trying to figure out, right? 
Because how long do we keep going? Oh, will this happen to you? Eighth time? Oh, yeah, we'll let you out. You do, do you know what I mean? We'll let you off. When, when do we find the balance of people taking responsibility for their own choices? I don't think it's the first, second time necessarily, but maybe the fifth and sixth time. Did, did, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, no, for sure. I think people, do, like you were saying, it's just ownership. You know, I think people, if they're not aware of some of the actions or some of the ramifications, the consequences, oh, man, I, should, I don't know that. Then Yeah, of course, okay, yeah, you didn't know that. But if you, you know, it's kind of like you were saying, kind of like they're saying, you learn, learn from your mistakes. Right. If we keep on doing the, repeating the same mistake, then you know very well, man, hey, come on. You need a. It's time for you to kind of pull your head and like you. You know what's, what's you know what's happening. You know what you're doing. Exactly what you're doing right now, and you know it's wrong. So yeah. you're right. People need to need to kind of. That's why I love up. Dave Letelli. You know, Brown Butter Bean. Have you had him on your show? Yes, yes. Yeah, he's the man, bro. And um, because he's actually teaching people life skills, like tangible life skills that they can use to. And just change their lives, but save their lives. If we're thinking about mortality, you know, with his, all his work around obesity and lifestyle, he's like teaching them skills that they can then act on if they want to. And I'm like, yo, you're the man, bro. He's, you're so awesome. Because he come from that, like he's the perfect example of what I'm talking about. You know his story, right? Like he had a rough go of it. And, you know, he went down that road for a while. Then he was like, nah, I'm... I'm taking my mana back. Let's go. And he became brown butterbean and changed his whole shit. Now he's helping like millions of people. You know, like his, Dave's impact is like intergenerational. And and I really aspire to do more to be like him in my reach. You know what I mean? Because I, have a, I do small work with small groups of people, you know, but my goal was to have my own center that is like Muay Thai, kickboxing, boxing, some weights, but also a classroom in the back where we can do a podcast and lectures. You know, I don't need like a branch of them in every city around Aotearoa, New Zealand, but like I want to do something more like that so I can have like a deeper reach to help people. I want one day to like meet a 50-year-old and I was like, oh, yo, you used to train with me. I'm like, yeah, this is my son. We're doing mean. Do, do you know what I mean? That's my goal. <laughs> Yeah, cool, yeah, man. because like Dave's doing that. He's breaking cycles. You know, I, do, I work with this charity called the Grace Foundation. It's Dave's father, Dave Senior, and his brother Ola Latelli. They are the two of my favorite people. I really look up to them. And um, the Grace Foundation, yeah, they work with people from the justice system and give them support. People with people can self refer there. People with addiction issues. And they're, again, they've they've got heaps of houses around um, Tamaki Makoto, You know, and um, they're making those intergenerational changes, man. Like, I love going and sitting in... They invited me out to church once. They have um, recovery church on Sundays. And it's just people telling their stories of recovery. It's so cool. It, it's so cool. And I'm like, yo, you guys took ownership of your decisions. You wanted to change your life. And, and they're holding their baby or whatever. Like, that's so cool. And it just lets me know that if you make choices and you have support, because you need that support, mm, change is possible. And often I think we can lose sight of that. D d d does that make sense? Yeah, I guess no, I'll go back sure, to what I was saying earlier sure. when I was like, oh, you're a dick if you keep making those choices. It's definitely easy to make better choices. I'll qualify that comment if you have support. Mm. You know, if you're out there by yourself. It's going to be hard. Eh? It's, hard. it's be hard. Or if you like come out of prison, back to the same environment. 
No, or, you know, not everyone has, has problems from the hood. There's a lot of people yeah, in yeah. fucking Ponsme, Herm Bay, St. Mary's Bay who have problems too. There's different problems, you know? Do you know? Like um, mental health problems, financial problems, relationship problems, parenting problems. Everyone's got problems. But I guess the hope lies in that we can we can fix ourselves with some support. Mm. Sorry, I go on a bit. No, 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 it's no, no, good. It's good. good, man. It's good. Um, Love it, man. You sort of touched on a few things there in terms of, uh, and what stuck out to me was just the importance of having um, that sort of self-awareness or like, you know, we mentioned making mistakes and sometimes it doesn't take two times to correct someone. It might be five or six times. Um, so I'm just thinking, how does one go about sort of taking a step back and gaining that self-awareness that something's not right in my life, and then going a step further and being like, time to take ownership. I don't think there's any one right way to do that, right? I think there are lots of different tools and approaches and we have to find the one that's right for us. And that can take some trial and error, I suppose. And some of that support education stuff out there is unattainable or it's really hard to find. And that's why people like Mike King are doing a great job with Gumboot Friday and free counselling for Arangatahi, you know, because they're putting it front and centre for people. You don't have to go look for it. It's there, you know. 1737, you know, government's doing a pretty good job with that. Safe to Talk's a, a service for victims of sexual abuse. But if you're looking for, like, lifestyle changes or trying to break your own cycles, for me it was talk therapy. Right, I think I was 24, 25, and I can't remember. Like a bunch of stuff was going on, and my mother, who's dope, um, she had a hard life. <laughs> you know who's hopeful? My mum. She's mad into the church, and like I'm not religious, but I'm not an atheist either. And I'm like, oh yo, church saved my mum. She loves the church. She's deep in the church. She's just so optimistic all the time. She's like, yeah, God's got me. God's got my back. You know, she's like, Jesus is my homeboy. Sort of shit, you know? <laughs> she doesn't say that. She doesn't speak like that. <laughs> but like, I say that. But <laughs> yo, if anyone's going to hang out with Jesus, mum's mom's definitely going to like get a bro, bro shake, I hope, one day. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I'm being stupid. Anyway, mum, mum, I was talking to my mom. I was having a real rough go of life. I was probably a bit depressed without knowing that it was depression. And she said, what's going on? But I was like, I just remember saying, I heard all the time. And my, you know, <clears throat> there's an economic privilege here in that my mum had the ability to send me to counselling when I was 24 or 25. She said, I've got a little bit of money. We weren't rich or nothing, but we weren't poor either, you know. And um, yeah, so I was privileged enough for my mum to send me to a therapist. When I was 24, 25, not everyone is that lucky, but it's like, how do we, so I acknowledge that. So, okay, cool. Well, here's some funded therapy, you know, I'll go to the GP with you, they'll do six sessions, you know what I mean? Or have you been to an AA meeting or an NA meeting? I'll go through for the first couple. You know, I've got my bro, Peter Thorburn, I was talking about earlier. He talks about choice. You have to give people choices and options rather than a dictate. And then we don't want to make them do anything because that doesn't work you have to want to do it yourself so peter talks about this idea called motivational interviewing so um your bro or your sister turns up and like i'm having a hard go of it oh yep what's going on with you oh i'm fighting with my girlfriend i've probably been partying a bit much 
how does that make you feel? Oh, I just feel frustrated and stuck and probably a bit sad. Okay, what are some things that you might like to do? Right? So we've no like yes, no questions, lots of open questions. And then, oh, I don't know, maybe I should see the therapist or maybe should I go to the gym or I saw this meditation course online. Okay, well, what, I'll go to any one of those three things with you. What would you like me to do with you? And they'll go, I don't know, fuck, I feel weird, but would you go to the meditation with me? Sweet cuz, I'll go with you the first time. And then you've given them three choices, that they, and then they've chosen the one that might work for them, right? And then you're walking, you're not doing the work for them, but you're walking alongside them in order to make that shift. Just, yeah. D- does that make sense? Yeah. It's actually called motivational interviewing. There's a whole like therapeutic process behind it that they use in alcohol and drugs, but that's a simple way of explaining it. Because when I was young, I was so, I quit drinking real young. I was never much of a drinker. I never really got into drugs, you know. I worked really hard in Muay Thai. I was really, really strict on myself. And I was angry. And people would be like, I have problems. And I'm like, I was kind of like a young David Goggins. It's like, just work hard. Like, go running. (laughs) Kick the bag harder. Don't eat any junk food, you know? Don't do the drugs. You're weak, right? Not a good fucking way to do it. You just push people away. When actually, if someone comes to you with problems, they're actually asking you to hold them for a little minute and open up. Do you know what I mean? But often we we try and be helpful and you need to do this. It's not helpful. You know, you actually need to be like, okay, well, what works for you? How are you feeling? And then they buy into it. Do you know what I mean? Like you tell a little kid something, you tell them off. Chances are they're not going to do it straight away. They might do it out of fear, but they're not going to like set up a long-term pattern of behavior. Because I don't think fear that's externally imposed is a good motivator. Do you know what I mean? For me as an athlete, fear of not doing well was a good motivator, but that was internally imposed. Does, does that make sense? Uh, can you see the yeah, distinction yeah, there? Sure. And I think if we want to make lasting changes, we need to be part of the process ourselves, but people can w- need to walk alongside us. Particularly, you know, like if you have like childhood sexual abuse, grow up in violent households, um, you know, you know, all that sort of stuff you need more guardrails to help you not go off the edge as you rebuild the inner world that you have, right? But some of us are trying to like just save money better or like lose a little bit of weight that we put on over winter or, you know, we're not alcoholics, but maybe we just drink a little bit too much and like, ah, drop my third iPhone, stink, maybe I'll just do dry, you know what I mean? So those sorts of gentle conversations, I think, giving choices and options, listening empathetically, helping people find what works for them and then walking them there and just checking in once in a while. You know, your bro, your bro goes to his first meditation class or therapy or anger management program. Oh, yo, cuz, what's happening, bro? Like, I'm giving you a phone call, not a text, because a phone call is far warmer and l- less cold than a text or a DM. And just how, how that class goes, how's that working out? You know what I mean? Just checking in. And people, I think, want that. Because my DMs are full of people asking for 
where do I go for help? Where do I get my kids therapy? Um, you know, someone messaged me just yesterday, just thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I got to tell them where's a good counselor in West Auckland. If you're watching this and you're a good counselor in West Auckland, <laughs> can you message me? Um, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, People sure. want help. It's just hard to find them, right? So if one of your friends or your whanau or someone you're eyeing is like, yo, whoa, this is happening. Maybe you can do a little bit of the legwork for them. Do you know? Yeah. And then like, oh, I found this therapist, that therapist, this, this deep trauma healer. You know what I mean? This guy's a Buddhist. <laughs> you know, this person's a Jungian psychoanalyst, right? Like, what sounds best for you? You know, because there's no one size fits all. What works for you, what works for you, what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me and vice versa. So something will work. I tell people going to therapy and there's more to life than therapy. You can do breath work or meditation or, you know, a, a whole range of whatever it is. But I'm like, it's kind of like healthy dating. You go along and you're like, mm, this vibe's not good. <laughs> it's not a good vibe. I don't like talking to you about wetting the bed when I was 11. I don't connect with you. But then you go somewhere else. You know what I mean? It takes a couple of times, but once you find the right therapist, yeah, it's a game changer. I've had the same therapist for like six, seven years now. And seriously, like for me, it's been amazing. This really like reprogrammed me, you know, like in a good way, not in like a cult way. I'm not like, that. Come uh, on, reprogrammed. Yeah. <laughs> Is that answer your question? Yeah, 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 that's awesome. That's crack up that you mentioned that. Um, two points there. Um, funny that you mentioned healthy dating. I was reading a little bit about um, when you met Claire and she had mentioned um, about your father's first date and she was like, you know, you're such an intense guy and you just came with this heavy stuff and you guys had a conversation. Um, and then she said something about how um, you guys spend your time differently what you do in your own spare time is you know you're quite different people but at the same time the things you have in common the things that you're passionate about you care very deeply about them mm. and it unites you really well and so you balance each other out really well so i just thought it was funny that you mentioned the healthy dating and then just seeing how you and your relationship has come like you've been had to work through some things on your own and then also together i'm sure um, but one of the things I also read was that you'd mentioned before that you've always been a rescuer mm. and just hearing about all the work that you've done. I wonder as someone who's a rescuer and someone who's, you've mentioned vicarious trauma mm. and just that taking on other people's trauma can tire you out. How do you find the energy to also be present for your family and to give them all of you? And I know a lot of men struggle with this as like giving their family the leftovers yeah, How that's, a, that that's a really good question. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I'm not always the best at it. Sometimes I'm done, you know. Someone's told me about, uh, I've got kids coming in the gym, you know, and they've been referred, you know, they've tried to kill themselves or um, someone got stabbed or, you know, like mad shit. And sometimes it really upsets me because they're little, they're like 14. You know, yeah, I remember when you're 14, you're like, I'm a man now, <laughs> bro, you are a baby. <laughs> Just All you 14 year olds out there, you know, like you're so young at 14. And um, people tell me terrible things. And then I read a lot. I'm like, a, 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 I'm probably a little bit of a social media addict. I'm much better with it now. But um, I read a lot. My work requires me to read a lot. I need to be up to date with news, literature, academia, thought pieces, and it takes a toll on me. And sometimes I go home and I'm pretty not present. 
you know, I don't drink, I don't use drugs, I don't fuck around, I don't use pornography, but I can just like be a little bit short, you know, and just go to my room. Maybe I don't yell and scream or nothing because I don't want to be my father, but I'll just be like, oh, grumpy, turn the TV down, you know, <laughs> like I'm not, it's not like the worst shit ever, but like I'm not 100% cool dad. You know, sometimes I, I'm like, oh, I wish I had more energy when I get home to like play with both my kids, read a book with them. I do most of the time, but when I have a bad day, if I'm honest with everyone who's watching this, sometimes I'm just like tired and I'm, and I'm still trying to figure out that balance. You know what I mean? Definitely seeing a therapist and talking about my work a lot now is good. You know, I, what I've found is good for me and other people out there might find helpful is I like to have a buffer between getting home and from like work. Then I like to do something like go for a run or go to the gym and then I go home. Do you know what I mean? Cause I think for uh, at least some people, the bar is that buffer. And I don't know if that's a good buffer cause you go home like fucking lit, you know? <laughs> and then you, I don't know if that's the best, but for me, exercise, uh, if I'm honest, sometimes I like to sit down and on the way home and get an ice cream. I'm a real nerd, everyone watching me. I'm like, they'll, they'll be like, what? Oh, you sometimes are snappy with your kids? Like all of us, you know? But I'm not perfect is what I'm trying to say. Like sometimes I'm not like really present. Sometimes I will doom scroll on my phone. Sometimes I will, oh, go to bed. I've got to do this work. You know, I've got to write these emails or do this presentation. You know what I mean? I'm not as like, I'm not as cool as I want to be with my kids all the time particularly my older one i'm like oh you're nine you can because he my nine-year-old's awesome he's the man bro he's so funny but he's like will you come upstairs with me while i have a shower and and just wants to talk <laughs> like that's shit he's like he wants me to sit on the toilet and have a corridor with me about it and i'm like that's fucking awesome he's like and like he actually just wants to tell me about his day or just talk whatever not nine-year-old nonsense he's really into these computer games that i like buzz out trying to understand i'm like what i don't really get it i'm like the uncool dad but i that's such a cool invitation for a child to a son right but sometimes like oh, i've got to do this work do, do you know what i mean because i get stressed financially i'm like oh the bills are. so i'm trying to work on that you know what i mean yeah i'm trying to work on it you know i don't always have as much energy for my family because I've spent all my energy in the world. And, um, and sometimes if I'm honest, my kids have got a real nice privileged middle-class life. And, and when my kids are like, Oh, I didn't get this toy. I'm like, I met a child who was fucking abandoned by their mum when they were 11. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I met a child who this terrible violence happened to. Do, do you know what I mean? Or I met someone who got like fucking, this happened like the worst shit you can think of seriously you know well you know i've traveled a lot you know i've had children in mexico lick a plate because they're so hungry or you know i go muay thai in thailand and you're in thailand children do full muay thai they're elbowing other children in the face at 10 11 12 13 years old to make money for their family in the countryside they go live at a Kaimoi, they do Muay Thai, which is like three, four hours training a day, five, six days a week as little children as a financial way of getting out of um, intergenerational poverty. 
And so when sometimes my child is like, I want to watch cat videos. I'm like, bro, just fucking like, I don't ever swear at my kids. I, I'm talking to adults. Yeah, yeah. I definitely don't swear at my kids. But you know, in my head, I'm like, bro, their cat videos, go to bed, go to bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd, I'd say, yeah, you know, you know, and sometimes I can be snappy and be like, oh, go to bed. I told you five times. I don't, I'm still working on that, you know? I, I feel if I came in, I was like, well, I take a deep breath and I do my mantras <laughs> and I gently say, son, you know, like I'll be full of shit. You know what I mean? I don't always do that. Most times pretty good. Sometimes I like, go to bed. I've told you five times, you know, you know, like why are you asking for this toy? You know, I'm getting there, but that balance between the, my work and my home is something I'm still trying to adjust. Mm. That's awesome. And I love that you're so open mm. and honest. And I think it's, it's awesome that you can just acknowledge it is what it is. Well, like this is the reality of life. And it kind of raises a, a really important question. This is something I've questioned myself, like how am I going to teach this to my kids as a father? Um, and it's that how do you teach your kids to be grateful for what they have without putting them through the trauma that you've had to mm, go through yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that comes with age because I'm a nine. My son is nine and 18 months old. So I'm not going to sit down and like, have you heard of intergenerational sexual abuse and addiction? Do you know what that is? Like that doesn't, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, we go out and I always give co coins to homeless people. And I actually did a bunch of work with um, LifeWise and other charitable organizations that deal with homelessness. And, you know, I see some studies and they're like, yo, what's up, bro? <laughs> you know? And my son's always like, you know everyone. And like, I explain that to him and he gets it a little bit. My older boy, you know, he's getting older and he's coming online. And I just try my best to talk talk with him about it. Um, when I am unnecessarily angry or short with him, I apologize to him. I sit down with him and I go, hey, yesterday I was wrong to have told you off. That was me being tired. That wasn't actually you. If he has been naughty, because he can be naughty, like he smashed our brand new TV by, I'm like, can you stop throwing that ball? Can you stop throwing that ball? Neck mana. <laughs> like, it goes to Samsung. It's like, yo. It's not like we yell or anything like that. Like, you know, you take his privileges away for a while. Yeah, yo, you're not watching YouTube. You can't. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, but yeah, I talked to him about that. Yo, I was wrong. Or, hey, this is why you've been, I don't know punished or reprimanded we have good conversations he's an articulate kid and all credit to his mum. it's not me like his mum is really good at that stuff like his mum is i would argue a bit more patient than me and my my fiance she's um a meditation teacher and she works with a lot of traumatized people too she helps people with their um substance use she's got like a whole school of like um wellness practices physical space and so um She's really good at having those conversations too, you know what I mean? And sometimes we, I'm like, oh, you're too soft or not soft, that's wrong, but you're too lenient. And I think there can be some of that discourse because I talk to my friends, I'm like, well, do you argue with your partner about this? Yeah, bro. Do you know what I mean? And it's maybe it's like a gendered thing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand. I don't know the answer. Do you know, I don't, I don't know that answer. You know what I mean? But um, it is a hard one. I don't know. When, I'm, when he's older, I'd like to take him traveling and see some of the things I've seen. You know, not like the worst of the worst, but like, you know, you go to um, a country in the global south and, you know, it, there is hardcore poverty. Even go to, you know, you've been in New York or Los Angeles or something. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the homelessness is hardcore. Um, you know what? I'm going to change it. When I first went to New York, I was really shocked by the homelessness. Now it's the same here, but there's just more people, so it's so more, so much more barren. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, homelessness here is terrible, but um, yeah. So that I'm taking that whole point back. Maybe edit that bit out about the, the travel. <laughs> we travel to the global south. You know what I mean? And you're like, yo. You, what do you have to worry about in the big picture thing? And then there's this whole argument. It's like, let's not minimize people's problems. Like your problems are your problems are your problems. But I'm like, I don't know. Because there's like first world problems and then there's third world problems. Do, do you know what I mean? There's like proper violent hood problems and middle class problems. I think there is some degree. Like pain is pain. But at the same time, our environments, I think, are something that we do need to acknowledge about how we deal with that pain. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky thing to figure out. Man, you got a brilliant, you got a brilliant mind, bro. It's just the way you, it's the, way, <laughs> the way you think, um, Richie. I, I like it, but the, the, I think the, the do you? Because I don't sometimes. No, I, 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 I don't like, know if I even have any. Like, no, I, I like it. You know why I like it, um, Richie? Because I think you, people tend to think, oh man, I'm just, I'm just rambling on, but but no, but I can. Uh, it just kind of reveals who you are as a person, um, Richie. Mental, yeah, uh, mental. yeah no, no, not mental, not mental. But um, I think even more so. Um, uh, you talk about psychologically, also emotionally, but also just feels who you are as a person. You got to look at a massive heart in terms of helping people, helping individuals, and also this uh, social justice and so forth. And I love the fact that you you bring it because it's a good point. Because some people come on and think, oh man, my life is this and that. I've had all this uh, trauma and all that kind of stuff, but they never mention the good parts. You know? And and I love it that you you're, you're straight up say, hey hey, there's, there are times I'm up present with my kids and I'm this and that. And my dad, hey, my dad did this and that, but my dad was still a good man. And I like it that you do that. You say that and you mention those, but also like the um, the fact of in terms of a victim mentality. You bring in all that kind of stuff that we love to talk oh. about. We should that we need to talk about. But also one thing as well. Uh, and Jamie talked about just uh, mentioned rescue. Um, I know as men, sometimes we want, we want to fix people, we want, mm. to fix them, we want to solve the problems when it comes to their rescue. And I know you said mentioned we need to walk side by side with this, with individuals. Has there ever been a time, Richard, when you feel like, man, man, I think I'm I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything. I'm I'm helping this guy. I've gone to the extreme where I'm the guy who's who should be not just uh, not just kind of helping walking side to side, but I'm finding myself solving the issues and becoming the rescuer and not um, really helping this person. Mm, enabling it, yeah, enabling, yeah, enabling the yes. Yeah, my, 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 my girl, she reckons I enabled my father in 2020. She's like, oh, you, should, you know, but I reckon she's being a bit harsh. I'm like, yo, he went to hospital because he smashed his head open, you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, do I enable people? I think when I was young, uh, in my 20s, I would rush to help and do the work and get a unconscious uh, reward, fall into a sort of childhood role of rescuer, you know, um, which lots of adult children of alcoholics do. I'm not an expert on this. It's something I actually would like to spend more time reading about. But there's this whole notion of ACOA, adult children of alcoholics, and we all we are all broken in a really similar way. Have you read about this? Have you? Mm. Tell us, tell us, man. Well, I don't really know a lot about it. It's something I, I should um, read about more. But essentially, we do fall into quite quite similar roles in relationships of like 
enabling someone's mental health issues or addiction issues or whatever, do you know what I mean? And then trying to do the work for them and say, do you know what I mean? And like the dynamics of our childhood play out in very similar ways throughout our adult relationships. And I definitely did that through my 20s. And when I think, when I look back now and I think about the romantic or sexual relationships I had from, from my late adolescence to um, my 30s, and some of those women were really good and healthy. They weren't all train ranks, but there's a couple that were train ranks. It was that, that you know, I like found my father to fix in my, or my mother to save in those relationships. D- does that make sense? Mm. And it wasn't like a healthy dynamic, but I didn't know, I, I, I didn't know it at the time. Do you know what I mean? And you, you would go, oh, it's okay, you, you know. You know, I talk about my own infidelity once, but, like, I've had partners cheat on me too. And um, you're like, okay, it's okay. I'm, okay, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and then next minute, oh, did it again. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, where have you been all weekend? Oh, you know, just partying, just turn my phone off. Oh. Okay, it's okay. You know what I mean? You actually have to learn to draw a boundary eventually. That's what you learn. You know, if you just keep enabling people's behavior and get taken for a ride, um, they're going to hurt yourself. You know what I mean? Like emotionally at least. And it's not good for you. And you actually have to learn to put a, like, this is what I'm, this is a healthy dynamic of a relationship. This is what my therapist says. My therapist says this. This is one person, this is you. You need to learn to navigate the space in between, right? And often wounded people are not two full people. They become like this. There's this unhealthy enmeshment with no space in between. And we start living for each other and in each other's lives in a very codependent way. And then so, because you're so enmeshed and it's so unconscious and there's so much like, childhood conditioning playing out forgive me if you're watching this if i'm getting this wrong dear therapist um when we inevitably separate because this is not a sustainable relationship it's not like a hey i think i've outgrown this relationship let's go it's like kaboom you know because you're like pulling apart do you know what i mean you don't know how to talk you don't know how to you know what i mean and there's so much pain and drama and you know yeah so you actually learn to be a full capable independent person here over here and you navigate and you communicate this space in between and it's two individuals walking side by side it should be a healthy relationship and you have you know you talk about claire and i she's got her stuff i've got my stuff we navigate the space in between and then I admire her and I like to think sometimes at least she admires me and I'm, a, I'm like a real big fan of her, you know, like we argue, you know, sometimes the work life balance is hard. The child work balance is hard. We argue, but like it's healthy arguing. It's normal arguing. Like any relate. Do you have a partner? Sure, yeah, yeah, do you yes, argue? Yeah, for sure. But it's how you do that. Do you too? Definitely. Yeah, right. Like, do you know what's hard? You, you know, one of my, if anyone's watching this and wants to read some really good shit, is this guy called Alain de Botton. He, I talk about this talk all the time. So if you've seen me do a podcast before, sorry, boring content. But he did this talk that changed my life when I read it. And it was called Why You Almost Always Will Marry the Wrong Person. 
and he and he describes how we find what's familiar to us rather than what's good for us. So if we are acculturated to drama, chaos, insecurity, instability, you know, your mum's got mental health issues and you're trying to save her, what do you think you look for most of the time as an adult? Something in your partner that recreates what's familiar to us on a deep emotional, psychological, even spiritual level. It's a great essay and it's a great talk. And he's got this whole thing called the school of life, which I really encourage anyone out there who's curious about the human condition, not just relationships, but everything to check out, you know, they write books, they're on Instagram, they've got a YouTube channel, really great animated videos, very easy to consume, really deep insights. Mm. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I think, I think all that, that sort of like content is a good side of social media because there's definitely a dark side of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of lost topic. I went off oh, topic there, no, but that's cool. That's cool. Mm. That's cool. I think that's why you get that kind of they're saying, "Hey, you, like you married you married your mom, or you, you, you married your father." You're like, oh, I definitely my think my girl thinks she married her father because I'm grumpy sometimes <laughs> when I'm being grumpy. Fucking, he's my dad. What a yeah. dick! And I'm like, "Sorry, baby, I'm working on it." Yeah, I guess I just want to be honest, you know, like it's easy on social media to be like, I'm out here saving the kids. And I do do all of that. I'm not saving the kids, but I, all my work's charitable. Like all my work's educational. I am all those things, but I can also be a grumpy dad and a grumpy boyfriend and fucking like a normal human being. Do you know what I mean? I'm messy around the house. You know what drives me? She's like, what? Uh, you've been home all day. You couldn't put the laundry away. You know what I mean? Like it's it's everyday shit that, real, that can be, be irritating for people. And it's those small things, you know, like uh, MC OJ and Rhythm Slave talked about it, you know? <laughs> Do you remember that old yeah, rap? Baby. You know, you spill the G, you spill the gravy stains on your jeans. This is shit that, that we we should talk about more, I reckon. A lot of people come on the podcast and like talk about the worst thing that ever happened to them. But you get over that. It's the day-to-day stuff which can be annoying. You know, do, do you know what I mean? Get in the way of life, trip up your relationship, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The, oh, I'm the overdrawn stuff. again. How many coffees did I buy this week? <laughs> it's all that little stuff. Finances, yeah. Finances, yeah. bro. <laughs> could someone help me with my finances? You know what I mean? Do you know, like, all oh, that shit's hard. That, and then this is this is where like that privilege conversation comes in, right? Because if it's hard for people who have jobs, education, social platforms, what if you? Don't have those things. What if your parents have got no um, education? What if your parents have got no money? What if your parents are still in active addiction? Mm. How are you going to go at school? And what are you going to do when you leave school? That's where that support and that, that agency um, intervention is re- re- required. You know what I mean? If like all four of us who have professional careers are like, yep, I struggle with the bills sometimes. Imagine if you don't have any of the advantages that we have. Do, do you know what I mean? That's that's where it gets hard for me. I'm like, what's the political answer to that? I don't know. Mate, that's a hard, that's a hard one. It's a hard question in terms of um, you, you're thinking about all this. Like if you have no support at all and you can, you've talked about the vicious cycle. When you just, because that's all I know. Then I would just go back to whatever my whānau is doing, my angel, whatever. If, if it's crime, then it's crime. And you, mm. yeah, you're right. And if there's the lack of support. Lack of services, that's, that's the only option well, that people have. You know, I was talking to one of the boys that is in one of the programs and he's got this massive killer beast tattoo. <laughs> and I'm like, 
I just talked to the bros because I'm like, oh, yeah, mean. So how do you join? And he was like, yeah, because when I was in jail, that's who looked after me. I was like, that's, that's, they gave him the offense support that he never had anywhere else. Do you know what I mean? And I think people, look, don't get me wrong, I don't think you should go join a gang, but like, I think you're an idiot if you think that gangs are um, this easy choice for people to make. Do, do you know what I mean? It's often like a really logical choice to make. If, if you know, I get annoyed at like conservative voices who demonize. Don't get me wrong, I've been a victim of crime. I know people have been murdered. I know people have killed themselves. I know people, I know fuckloads of methamphetamine addicts. Personal friends have wrecked their lives with That methamphetamine didn't come from the tooth fairy, it came from the gangs, right? Like, <laughs> cheers, boys. But at the same time, I know really lovely, awesome people that I actually love in my heart who are in gangs and I understand how they ended up in there, right? You know, like, and that's where it gets confusing. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Good people might take bad choices and do bad actions. And if as society we want to fix that, we actually need to sit down with those people and be more patient because what doesn't work is just putting them in prison. doesn't mean they shouldn't go to prison, but prison is not a disincentive for anything. It's a punishment. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like that, you know, I guess I'll answer my own question. Like, how do you change that? Well, we actually need to be massively preloading the social system to work with the people who are more likely to go down that route. Do, do you know what I mean? From a really young age. Do you know what I mean? Like 11, 12 year olds are doing ram raids and stabbing each other and shit like that. Cool. 11, 12, you're, you know, do you know what age your brain finishes developing? Like 25 if you're a dude, 19 or 20 if you're a woman. So you've got 13 or 14 years to synaptically shape a child. Fucking spend 13 or $14 million supporting them because it's actually in the long term going to be way cheaper than putting them in jail when they get to 25 and they've murdered someone. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like actually from an, I don't I'm not an economist, but I guarantee like if you did the maths, it's probably cheaper, right? All right, cool. What, is, what does this child need? A youth worker, sports club, a dance instructor. Uh, I don't know. Like how, how do we pay for that? All right. Well, we, that's actually probably pretty cheap if you, if you had, if you had the desire to do it, but I don't know if there's the desire to do it because it's an election year and both parties, major parties are like harsher sentences. <laughs> Sweet as, you know, if I had a shop and you drove a car into it, I'd be pretty keen for you to go to jail. You know, like, cause I work really hard for my little dairy. I don't have dairy, but I'm speaking hypothetically, right? Fair enough. You should be punished for that. If you physically hurt someone, you should be punished for that. But is that going to stop them doing it again? Probably not. Is that going to stop them doing it in the first place? Definitely not. Do you know what? Do you know what I mean? Like, People don't sit down and think, have you ever been in a fist fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right? Did you pause in your fist fight and go, what jail sentence will I get <laughs> if I hook this guy real good? <laughs> what, what are the consequences of you? Yeah, like, did you yeah. ever? <laughs> no, no, of course you just but get of course the fight. You you you're just like, let's go! And you become Ragnar Lothbrok in fucking Vikings <laughs> and you, your brain doesn't actually work properly. Like the frontal cortex of your brain doesn't work properly anymore and you go into like the emotional reptilian part of your brain and you go into survival mode. And um, you don't think 
18 to 34 months <laughs> you know like you're like there's no yeah, thing yeah, yeah. and and then and then if you grow up in an environment this is this is actually true if you grow up in an environment of trauma if you grow up in an environment of substance abuse and addiction if you're really high on um what's called the adverse childhood experiences list your actual brain is different to someone who grows up in a healthy environment you're actually less likely to make rational well well thought out considered decisions and most of this offending if you look at the data happens for young people so that brain maturation has in heaven if you use a lot of alcohol and drugs which people who are in traumatic environments do as a coping mechanism to survive again that changes how your brain works and you're more likely to act impulsively and irrationally and aggressively and violently so if we want to stop all that sort of stuff the answers are reasonably clear, but it's not politically popular. D- does that make sense? Because I think, like, I don't know about you're a teacher. Can I say that? Yeah. Sorry. Not, yeah. You're good. To, you're good. I, I don't mean to dox you. <laughs> um, you must have heaps of kids, I imagine, who have difficult environments at home, right? Absolutely. And how does that play out for you in your school? It's tough. Like. Behavior is such a it's such a big problem at the school, but I feel like the focus on behavior the focus shouldn't be on trying to fix the kids' behavior. I feel like it's definitely understanding where they come from and then adapting our approach to where they're at. Because I think, like we mentioned before, um, we started filming. Like, how is a kid expected to focus on reading, writing, maths when they ain't had breakfast, or you know, mum and dad's had a massive drama, had a blowout, and kids are you know they've gotten a hiding before school, and then they come to school and somehow they're expected to sit in place, learn this stuff, and be completely focused until break time. Like, it's just not realistic. It's not, and yet that's what we expect, right? And then that kid will act badly, and we we'll go, all right alternative education we're kicking out of the mainstream system not much funding there you know and then okay this isn't working kid drops out of old ed or old ed gets cancelled or you know well what's there the street <laughs> you know and it's like well it's sweet well if i as an underage person carry these drugs around for, i'm not going to get a sentence i'm going to get you that i'm going to get you know what i mean there are unfortunately people who take advantage of that and then you, you're building the next generation of people who eventually do more and more serious crime. If we stood alongside those people and offered them and filled those spaces so it wasn't the street that caught them and did a better job of that, we'd all be better off in the long run. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I got, I was in the paper, so again, I'll talk about I got fucking robbed. I got carjacked in March. Dude, 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 like, robbed me with a hatchet. And he's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, do I throw the left body kick? Or do I just let you take the car? You can just take the car. Do you know what I mean? Bro. Bro, when I. Some broad daylight home. Bro, it was 3 p.m. on a sunny Monday. What the hell? Yeah, bro. Oh, man. And to his credit, he found me on Facebook and gave it back my car, but he'd already wrecked it, the engine, and, like, totally trashed it. Right? But. <laughs> yeah, he figured out who I was, sent me a bunch of apologetic messages, got my phone number somehow, which is weird. And we ended up talking a lot. And I was like, oh, hey, um, do you need some help? Do you need to go? Do you like, are you on the gear, bro? Because I could probably help you out. And he's like, nah, I'm all good. You know what I mean? Like we ended up talking so often 
And like, you know, he came back up, but he, he ended up getting arrested for a whole bunch of other stuff. But there's a bit of me that doing the work I do kind of feels sorry for him. Part of me is angry. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not rich. Like it really sucks that I had to like pay money for insurance. You devalued my car. But I also am like, well, what happened in your life that you're robbing other people in broad daylight? And he was older. He wasn't a kid. He was like, you know, an adult, an older adult. I was like, what has happened in this person's life that you're running around with a hatchet on a Monday nicking some poor guy's car? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I like, yeah, sure, he should be punished for that. He could have killed me and my kids could have been orphans. That sucks. You know, he should be punished for that. But is just putting him in jail going to fix it? Probably not. Do you know what I mean? How did we stop that man getting to that point? You know, what What were the lack of interventions in his life when he could have gone the other way? I was lucky, you know. Like I hung out with kids who did drugs from 13, who binge drank serious alcohol, started taking acid. Um, you know, that was my that was my tribe if I think about what was familiar to me. But I was lucky in that I found martial arts really young and good mentors in martial arts. And they were like, nah. Come to training. You know what I mean? And then music. I was really into the punk hardcore music scene. And, 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 and these older guys who had cool style were like, nah, don't do that. Do this. And it was cool. Come play music. You know? Come concerts. Come read books. Like it was just lucky that I found good mentors. Not everyone has that. You know what I mean? And I think that's what you guys do. It's cool. It's like cool, you, you role model. You guys role model healthy masculinity. It's cool, man. It's cool, man. Do you know Thanks. what I mean? No, but for real, like, no, but like, seriously, like, that's what you're doing. Your show is called Mandate. That's really clever. I'm like, that's a clever name. You know what I mean? And you get men who are relatable to come talk about their journey so other men and their kids can learn and grow and heal, right? You're like, you're really empowering that change. We just need more of you. No, Someone man. fund these men. Right, we, need, we need more of you. <laughs> we need more of you, Richie. Man, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Richie. But this, that's a good question that needs to be asked in terms of obviously a different era, different time, obviously these ram raids. But how do we capture these these young men or these older men? How do we how do we capture them? Because I know they're kind of falling through the cracks. We see it. And I like what you said. You said, hey, do we actually stop? Obviously, they may be doing some ram raids and, and, and some some stupid stuff. But do we actually stop? Or do, often do we stop? I don't think people too many people stop and say, hey, what happened to that person's life? Why are they... Are they What's the family life there? What's what's happened? What's the trauma that's mm. as to why they're doing that? But how how do we how do we capture that? Because because um, I don't know I don't know what you think in terms of the consensus of our men out there. Is it looking good? Or is it looking kind of doom and gloom? Not it's good. Just, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it looks good. It is. Man. Yeah. I, I read there's a twenty percent rise in stabbings. I actually read um, some statistics going down. I actually think the media does overblow how bad it is. But definitely, this is anecdotal, not quantitative or qualitative data, but talking with the young people that I work with in alternative education, the women and men, young men that I work with who are in, who are with the Grace Foundation, this wonderful charity that I really encourage you to donate to, dear viewer. Excuse me. Um, 
they're like, yeah, nah, it's different now. Like the older gangsters that I know, they're like, yeah, we would have a fist fight back in the day. Now we don't because people pull guns, people pull knives. It's really different. Apparent, apparently, I'm not a gangster. I'm not, and I'm not like trying to up my thug life <laughs> credibility here. But I work with people in that world, and the stories they tell me um, are pretty mad. Do you know what I mean? I work with like 17 and 18 year olds who have like scars from being stabbed and stuff because apparently that's so much more normal now compared to a generation before. Does that make sense? And then obviously, you know, I tell you the story. Yeah, I did get robbed at Axe Point on a sunny Monday. You know, like um, even Auckland, like, you know, there's more graffiti now. Like there's um, a sense of... of insecurity i think a lot of people walk about with you know because the headlines are always so extreme you know the guy got shot and killed on queen street right well that didn't happen for us growing up like gun crime was very rare and now it's on the rise you know i supported the gun buyback program after the mosque shooting i thought that was a noble well-intentioned piece of policy but Clearly it hasn't worked. <laughs> there seems to be more gun crime, not less, right? And a part of that, I believe, is I'm told that, you know, the 501 program? You know, like, um, okay, so 501s are Australian guy, gang associated, associated guys who get deported, deported back, back to New here. Zealand. But often they went to Australia when they were like one years old or six months old. They still have New Zealand citizenship. They commit a crime, they get deported back here, but they've brought that Australian gang culture back here and it's way more serious with the firearms and, you know, the level of violence that was culturally normal in Australia and brought it back here and apparently it's been this, like, whole cycle, you know, like our traditional gangs have kind of now got to compete with more um, dogs in the yard for market share and it's become more violent in that, I think that filters down to our young ones. COVID was bad for um, gang membership. I talked to a bro a lot on Instagram and he's out, he's out, you know, out these ways. And he said, yeah, a lot of, and, and, and then again, I'm aware of this working with other professionals. Like a lot of kids didn't go back to school after COVID and they um, either went to a job, which is all good, I suppose, but they're not getting the education that perhaps might further them. Or they got into like youth street gangs, you know what I mean? They call them alphabet gangs, like the ABCs, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And um, and then a lot of those gangs are feeder gangs to like more serious criminal offending. And that that's a trouble, right? Like, all right, you close down the country for however many weeks. What did you think was going to happen? You know, if, if you're in a nice neighborhood, you can go to the park. You know, mum and dad will take you to cook a football around, maybe use too much TikTok. But if you're in a neighbourhood that's economically deprived and there's a lot of, like, violence and antisocial behaviour, you know, where's the cheapest liquor in New Zealand? Where? For here in South. Yeah. Out South. That's fucking gross. That's not because it's South Auckland's fault. It's because gross, predatory, amoral, wicked business people prey on people who are marginalized do you know what i mean because alcohol is an easy way to escape your problems and they know that it's super shit do you know what i mean what was open during covid lockdown yeah you're right liquor shops 
Yeah, cheers. You didn't like that's like what did you think was going to happen? More family harm, more you know what I mean? Like that's a structural error, either by design or not. I would argue that the alcohol thing. I hate alcohol. I mean, I'm speaking frankly. Like, like when my friends have a drinking problem, I'm just like, "How are you doing?" I do that whole process that I was telling you about. But in my heart of hearts, I'm like, "Oh, these big American cooking companies, they're selling poison to our people, and it's it affects everyone. Alcohol is the worst drug by the data, you know, about what causes harm." You know, if I don't, in a, look, if you're having a few pals once in a while, sweet as, you know, have a good time, have a little dance, ask that cute person out at the bar, you know, you feel confident, but we don't, we know, we still, I mean, young people actually drink less, which is good, but we still have a binge drinking culture. What do you reckon? Yeah. Still, yeah. People do go, people don't go, hey, shall we have some wine and cheese and just one try, you know? <laughs> Crackles. People are like, let's fucking go. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. YOLO, bitches. Right? Yeah, yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Like, alcohol isn't just like this thing on the periphery of our socializing, it's the core thing. You know, when I'm talking in workplaces, I'm like, what do you say when you want to catch up with someone? I ask this question. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how would you invite someone? What, what would you say when you want to catch up with someone? Should we catch up for a drink? For drinks, yeah. All the time. That's our f- shit. Like, that's the event when really it could just be like, should we go for a walk and maybe we'll have a delicious, slightly alcoholic. You know what I mean? <laughs> or should we have a drink around a meal? Do you know what I mean? But alcohol has become like, this is this like key thing. And people are like, oh, it's just our culture. And I would argue, no, it's not just our culture. There are multi-billion dollar international corporations that make it think it's our culture. Because advertising, marketing, um, brand sponsorships of like <laughs> music artists, you know, some of the world's most famous musicians own liquor brands. And then they put those liquor brands in their music videos and they name drop them in their songs. It's really predatory. Right. The program, program to be our culture. Eh? Bro, yeah. but it's not true. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, again, going back to the bro, Peter Thorburn, like I, he's not paying me to mention him or nothing, but he's someone I learned a lot from. But, you know, our Pacifica, our Māori, our Asian communities, they're not genetically used to consuming alcohol the way that um, Palangi Pākehā people are. Like, I've got, like, thousands of years of alcoholism in my genetics, dog. Like, I, I drink all day, son. You know what I mean? Like, my mother's family's from Lebanon, actually. I don't know what – I don't – that's why I get a good tan. But, like, I don't know – I don't really know about drinking culture in Lebanon. But you know what I'm saying? That's the – but you know what I mean? Whereas, like, um, you know, you go out drinking with an Asian brother, he goes all red. You know, his body's not used to, like, processing it the way, like, do you know what I mean? But same with our Pacifica final. It's new to the to your community, right? And yet we're like, yo, here's drinking, here's drinking, here's drinking. And then you've got, like, people making, like, racist stereotypes, like, oh, South Auckland's a bad place. There's so much crime and violence in South Auckland. Do you know what I mean? And then people can be quite racist about it. And it's like, well, no, it's nothing to do with race. It's everything to do with, like, economics and what you put in those communities and what opportunities are there. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? Yeah, cool, man. That's it, cool. It's fucking really annoying because, uh, like, if you, if you wanted to make a difference, you could easily just say, nah, no liquor shops. Do you know what I mean? No vape shops. So how many kids do you know at your school who are vaping? Jeez. So many. 
Yeah, and how's that working out for their behavior? Not good. Not good. Yeah. No attention, angry, withdrawing, getting physically sick, standing over each other for their vapes, fighting for their right. Yeah, we're going to talk about dealing them out. Dealing, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Who owns vape shops? Tobacco companies. Yeah. We're like, yeah, let's ban tobacco <laughs> and then we'll let them sell highly addictive nicotine loaded electronic devices so they can suck on them to get addicted for nothing. They told us it was to help us stop smoking. You guys are fucking liars. If you work for a tobacco company, fuck you. I don't even care. Like, bro, like, no mercy. Like, you are selling poison to children. They make them bubblegum flavors. You make them, like, cherry pop flavors. You know, I was talking to a youth aid officer the other day, and he was like, yeah, now kids... You know, when we were kids, we had those candy cigarettes? And we're like, yeah, it's cool to smoke. Smoking is actually really whack, but we thought it was cool at nine, right? We want to be grown-ups, right? Apparently, little kids now, like, pretend to, to smoke vapes by getting a highlighter, you know, because it's a colorful color, like the way, like, a vape is. No, oh, I'm vaping. It's cool. It's like, you, you made that. You, did you know what I mean? Like, you made that cool. Companies made that cool. Like, the smartest people who work in advertising, marketing, made that shit cool. Now there's a vape shop on every corner and across the streets from one another. We let that happen. We didn't have to let that happen. That You know, people talk about, like, systemic issues. That's a systemic problem because I'm angry now, you know what I mean? But, like, but it's, it's just like if you, if you grow up in an economically privileged environment, your parents are all good, you know, everyone has problems, but some people have worse problems. Your parents will help you get, like, nicotine withdrawal patches or see a therapist or – send you to a sports club or maybe you go to drama or whatever it is. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're Meek Mill says this, you know, the rapper Meek Mill, Meek Mill says, if your dad's locked up in jail and your mom is working, who the fuck's going to babysit? You know, like Meek Mill says that in one of his songs. And it's like, yeah, it's the same in economically marginalized. It's not South Auckland. I grew up in West Auckland, a lot of that stuff too, you know. All around uh, Toronto, New Zealand, there's neighborhoods which are economically deprived and marginalized and don't have access to services. But we could fix that with government funding and community partnerships and standing up to industry. We let industry go, yeah, no, alcohol's all good. We're going to market alcohol, you know. We're going to let alcohol sponsor sports team, you know? It's like pff, KFC, mm. you know? What kills more people than anyone else, anything else in Aotearoa New Zealand? Fast food. Bro, obesity-related illness. And um, people are like, oh, no, nah, these people are just lazy. It's like, well, no. Like, you're actually really hardworking if you work a 60-hour job on minimum wage. But you also don't have time to prepare a nutritious vegan meal for your six kids. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's also really expensive to, and it's time expensive to, to feed your family well. Do, do you know what I mean? It's cheap to grab fucking K-Fry. I mean, I'm a vegetarian, but I know it used to be delicious. <laughs> you know, I'm sure it hasn't changed. Those secret fucking herbs and spices. I don't know, I don't know, but they've changed it. Like. <laughs> yeah, they've changed it. They yuck now. But, oh, but do you know what I mean? But I remember KFC being a good time, right? Give me a cheesecake. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, do you know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm, I don't no, even know no, how we started talking about this. I feel like I've gone mental and anyone that watching this far is like, this guy's bananas. No. But like, all that shit is structural. 
government could say no junk food advertising for our sports teams, no alcohol sponsorship for our sports clubs, no vape shops, um, a kilometer from every school, only one vape shop on any given street, not on both sides of the street. We could make that law pretty simply, but we don't. Did do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what do we do? Sometimes I'm like, what the fuck are you doing down there in Wellington? Like arguing about, oh, this person said this or this person said the wrong thing on Twitter. Who gives a fuck? People are dying in hospitals. People are dying waiting to go to hospital. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, man, for sure. You you, you threw some some facts, man, some truth bombs Bro, out like, there. And like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it just makes me really angry. Like, it makes me like more angry than, I don't know. Like, even if you're economically okay, if you're not rich, but if you're like middle class, middle class yeah. still like two, three weeks to go to the doctor, you don't have private health care. Do you know what I mean? And there's a really good book that I read when I was about 21, and it's called The Spirit Level, Why Equal Societies Almost Always Do Better. I can't really remember the data, but it's Kate Pickett, Richard Wilkinson. Really, it made a lot of waves and it came out. This is, I think, I was like 24 or something, and I was at university studying politics and shit, and like it was really interesting to me because even if you're a selfish person, you should want people who are less fortunate than you to have better income, get paid more, get more government support because it's better for you. <laughs> if you're a selfish asshole, it's still better for you to pay a little bit more tax and help people less fortunate than you, people from different backgrounds. You know why? Because you're probably less likely to be a victim of crime from those people. There's probably more social cohesion, less of that fear in the streets. We can trust one another. I feel like there's less trust in our society now than there used to be. People are scared of other people now in a way that they never used to be. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 and it makes me really sad. Even um, to take a slightly different tangent, the fact that we're always putting, oh, I don't know, it doesn't matter. I don't want to, yeah. Just, we kind of are always looking at what's different between one another now in a way that I don't remember growing up. And it, and, and it upsets me because, fuck, I never met any of you guys before, but I feel like we get on yeah, just man, good as, you know, just, you know what I mean? Just the guys, yeah, you're right. And like, and I think there's so much more in common of us, irrespective of um, where you come from, what language you speak, what ethnicity you are, what sexuality you are, than difference. And yet we always seem to be looking for the difference and it really bums me out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then that media cycle of like, these people are dangerous and these people are this and blah, 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 and this bad thing happened. When you see a good headline, man falls in love for the first time, you know, these many babies born perfectly healthy today, you know, um, kid passes his first exam, you know, like it's not often. I mean, up the waz, you know, like we've been pumping the waz for a while. That's all good. So, you know, it was actually really nice to see that they lost and no one hated them. Yeah. Because normally we talk mad shit about people who don't do well, you know trolled, what I mean? Hey. You would have been trolled, you're right. Yeah, but like, um, what if we 
accentuated the positives and the similarities whilst talking constructively about, yeah, let's get the vape shops out. Let's limit the liquor shops out. Let's help these kids who are falling in the cracks. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would be cool, I reckon. Because what do you think, um, Richie? Because you're right, you bring a good point in terms of we've, we've solely focused so much on the negatives and the dis, uh, deficits. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of things that we are kind of <coughs> looking for. And, and you, you said it. People are so harsh on the differences and they're looking for those differences that they forget the positives and they, they forget the similarities. Uh, but in terms of going back to, to men, like how do we, in terms of men... Um, overcome some of those those real minute and real minuscule little differences and just carry on with, hey man, we, we, I'm, I'm, I'm cool, we're cool, instead of focusing on all the, all the negative stuff. Yeah, like agreeing to disagree, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like... Yeah. It, it kind of agree to disagree and, and be cool with it, I think. But now it's like you agree with me, oh, I hate you, man, you're, you're, you're toxic, you're, you're the, you're yeah, the you're bro, problem. I really think we've done a bad job importing American culture war are you familiar with this whole notion of the culture war mm, it's just, don't even worry about it it's fucking annoying <laughs> what, what, what is it what is it what's what the, the wackest shit ever i don't even know how to articulate it okay i'll give it a crack so you have oh fuck sorry i'm swearing so much i apologize all good, all good. All good. sorry if you're mormon my good brother mark he's mormon and i always feel real bad when i swear on him <laughs> um what is a culture war Oh, I'm going to do a really bad job articulating this. Okay, so basically you have like progressive forces and then you have conservative forces, right? Like reactionary forces, right? So on the on the progressive forces, we're like super pro-LGBTQIA. We are um, talking about race and like critical race theory and social justice and, um, you know, Things I broadly agree with a lot of the time. I don't always agree about how people go about it. And then over here, you've got conservative forces. Like, let's ban abortion. That's a, you know, contentious topic. But ban abortion. Let's um, kick out the immigrants, you know, like. um, And within all of this, there are quite nuanced things about culture, about should we teach about uh, this in schools or that in schools and is this acceptable and that not acceptable? And like, there's a whole, like an American exported Black Lives Matter notion or like notions from American culture that have filtered through social media and they've permeated a lot of the Western speaking world, right? And within that is how we have these arguments. And you're like, oh, you're a toxic person. I'm not going to be friends with you. It's part and parcel of that. Do you know what I mean? You think this, or this is your belief system. I think this, this is my belief system. We can no longer be friends. Do you know that? Right, that's what you're talking about, right? Like, you voted for Winston Peters. I voted for Jacinda Ardern. We can't be friends. You know what I mean? David Seymour, you know what I mean? Or, yeah, maybe I think, um, I don't want to say anything because <laughs> I'm like, this is, is controversial. Maybe I think one controversial thing. You think one controversial thing. We disagree about this controversial thing. We should still, in a just society that's rational, even how passionate, agree to disagree on some things, but find commonalities on other things, right? But we don't seem to do that. Everything seems to be a zero-sum game, all or nothing, you know? And everyone's arguing to win and dominate and have power 
rather than to understand and find consensus and solution. And we can do that in our personal relationships. I can do that when I'm arguing with Claire, my beloved. I'm like, when I'm having a bad day or she's having a bad day or we're both having a bad day, (laughs) instead of talking to communicate and understand each other and find a solution, we want to prove we're right. But I think we, our broader culture right now is about like gaining ascendancy of values and ideas politically and culturally. Um, and we don't make anything better by doing that. We actually make things worse and we further these divisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so people find themselves in echo chambers, right? Unfollow, unfollow, block, fuck this guy over here. And then you're only surrounded by people who say the same shit that you say. And then your reality gets distorted because most of us actually live in a pluralistic society with heaps of different ideas. And we have to actually understand that that dude's a Buddhist and that dude's a Muslim and that dude's a Christian and we're all equal and we all should have the same rights under the law. And that dude's gay and that woman's a lesbian and, um, I'm straight and we should all be equal and we should all have the same rights and protections under the law. And that dude's Tongan and that dude's Thai and that dude's Balangi and we should all have the same rights and protections under the law. And that person likes this book and I like this book. We should all be treated equally in the same, right? Economically, some people are born in environments and um, some people are born into cycles of violence. Those people, I argue should be treated a little bit differently. They need government support, structure, all the shit that I've been going on about, like a maniac tonight. I haven't even had many coffees today. Like, right? Like, and that's irrespective, right? Like, you know, like we have this argument of like race-based funding, which is really contentious for some people. And I I don't know the answer on that, but I definitely know that our Pacifica and Māori whānau are doing worse than our Pākehā whānau, right? Like if we look at like who makes our prisons, Māori are 15% of New Zealand, as New Zealand's population, but like 54% of the prison population. Not because Māori are inherently more likely to crime, but there are all these different historical, structural drivers of offending that are playing out now, right? And then some people would argue that to only help Māori is race-based funding. I'm not really entirely cognizant of the argument but i definitely think whatever it is we should help the people who are struggling the most by the does that make sense i'm not entirely opposed to like economic structural interventions that way does that make sense but at the same time a lot of pakeha guys end up in prison too you know so how do we help people maybe who under a certain i don't know poverty line or do you know what i mean like this argument about do we make a economic intervention or do we make a race-based intervention and i think uh, yeah i'm trying to figure that out i'm trying to read about it and learn about it uh to figure out what works the best does that make sense Mm. because you know like the act party are like one like they want to abolish the treaty of waitangi right i don't really i haven't i don't i don't really fuck with politics anymore i speak all about it and i'm like "Mm, i don't know if that's a good idea I don't know. What do you guys think? Oh, that's a, that's a, this is, this is with David Seymour. Yeah. I mean, he, he makes some funny sound bites, but I don't, and I don't know if like saying that everyone is entirely the same. 
I don't know what I'm fucking saying anymore. I guess like I'm trying to say, what am I saying? Yeah, I think that like we should all have the same rights, blah, 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 under the law. But at the same time, we can acknowledge some people are disadvantaged for a whole range of structural, historical reasons and help those people, irrespective. Does that make sense? Whereas I think like conservative, reactionary thinkers want to treat everyone exactly the same all the time. And I don't think that is good because how you grow up in Epsom is different to how you grow up in, you know? Yeah. Uh, if your parents have got a six-figure salary and your parents have a $30,000 salary and your dad's a business leader and your dad's a gang leader, you're going to have different outcomes that aren't your fault. Do you know what I mean? I had this lecturer, Louise Humpage, in my first year of sociology, like 2006, and she made a really good point. You know, I think someone asked, why should we keep funding single moms who keep having kids? Well, it's not the kid's fault, <laughs> is it? So you need to help that mom pay the bills. Otherwise that kid might have negative life outcomes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I go back to the point I make about um, agreeing to disagree that I think that, that and, and, and we all have the same equal rights protection in the law as respect to our sexuality or our skin color or our ethnic makeup. I still think there's space for like economic interventions for different groups of people who are who do need that support does, does that make sense i'm not trying to say treat everyone exactly the same look at the need like a needs-based assessment i guess is what i'm arguing for does that make sense it does yeah, it does. yeah. what do you think you're you're in the social space i definitely think socioeconomic like to me that seems like the fairest way to assess the need as opposed to i mean it's tricky though, because again, like you said, there's so many variables there. But I think addressing the socioeconomic needs should come first. Um, again, yeah, I, I could have said that way quicker if I just said that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what you're listening to me do is think about things on the spot. Like you're listening Thinking to aloud. my, yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. aloud, and sometimes it gets me in trouble. So if you're watching this and you're going to cancel me, take it easy. I'm just trying to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah, please continue that. I want to hear your thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, and I think that's just from my own experience. I sort of grew up thinking for a while that, oh, man, um, because of what I see on the news and what I hear, like, oh, it's, it's just brown people. Like, this is just mm. who we are. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've just realized it was just, we just didn't have the opportunity. No, nah, it's They're not just because of you. Resources. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Th that's all it was, really. We just, we didn't have. We couldn't control where we were born or, you know, we didn't choose this life. It was just the life we were given. And I think for a long time I had held on to a lot of resentment and I didn't really know who to who to place my frustration at. So I, I held it against my parents thinking, why don't you do more for us? Mm. And it's only that I've become a parent now that I've realised they did the absolute best they could with the knowledge that they had and the opportunities that were available to them. So I think if we're going to try and help raise the bottom line um it has to start with those who are in the most need irrespective of irrespective yeah, of yeah 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 i read a really good book by Turi Reid. he's an african-american academic and author and i think the book is called towards freedom and it really shifted my thinking and he said the same thing he said actually like you would pull everyone up if you did economic-based interventions as opposed to like affirmative action-based interventions in the American context. 
you know what I mean? Because, yeah, um, African-Americans are disproportionately doing quite poorly compared to people of European heritage. But there are, like, millions of really poor, like, white people in America who are dying of addiction and diseases of despair. And, like, those are the people that actually become quite, like, Donald Trump-supporting, mega-supporting, quite extreme, reactionary, conservative even racist forces based on resentment because then they see other people getting treated differently and that's wrong. But perhaps we could avoid that if, if we treated people not by their identity, but by their class economic, do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I worry that when we put identity in between our commonalities, it creates a social fracturing that we've been discussing tonight. Agreed. I, I really worry about that. Because cause I, I read all this shit on the internet all the time. I spend way too much time reading American cultural problems. And then, and, but I'm in the gym every day with like everyone, you know, all my Tongan friends, all my Samoan friends, a couple of the Thai boys, you know, like the kickboxing MMA world you know it's really multicultural and i grew up with that i grew up in calston and like i've always been around people of color and different ethnicities and i'm i've become aware of notions of white privilege and stuff as you know as as was merged in the last five ten years but i've never really felt different to anyone I'm like, all my friends are all my friends and no one's ever treated me differently and I definitely have never treated anyone differently and I get a little bit, like, confused by some of the extreme academic conversations around notions of whiteness and blackness because I just kind of see humans. And then some people will tell me that I'm racist for saying that. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Like, yeah. okay, so there's this whole notion that... Do you remember Martin Luther King? He said, I dream of a future where my kids are colored by the content of their hearts, not the color, color of their skin, which is called color blindness, right? And I'm like, fuck, that's a great aspiration. And there's this new emergence of theory which suggests that we should see the color of one another's skins and acknowledge all the different structural outcomes that we it's a whole notion called intersectionality right like if you're a black lesbian woman your life outcomes might be really different from a straight white man and there's probably some truth to that academic theory but i'm not entirely sure it needs to be the front and center of all our you know like social interactions because if i see you for your your blackness before I see you for your humanity. What is that saying? Cause I, I, I mean, I, and, and so what I'm arguing for is, yeah, like I don't really want to see skin color and, and in really progressive circles. That's considered a, like a bad thing to aspire to. Do you know what I mean? But I don't want anyone to treat me differently because of my skin color. Cause I can't fucking help it. Just like I don't want anyone to treat you differently because you can't fucking help it. Like that seems hot, like horrible. And there are there are like 
authors, if you're interested in this conversation, dear listener, like um, Coleman Hughes, he's a wonderful podcaster and um, public intellectual. There's a guy called Thomas Chatterton Williams. These guys are all African-American and that's why I quote them because they're not just like, whatever, white boy with your white privilege, fuck up. <laughs> like I get all the shit I'm talking about is from African-American voices. Thomas Chatterton Williams is one of my favorite people to follow. And he's he's he wrote this really good book called Losing My Cool. And he grew up in the hood, right? And um, now he's like a professor at, ba at Bard University and... He um, grew up with that street culture that we've been talking about. And, you know, he talks about people getting shot and beat up and all the shit. But then he remembers, like, when he started, like, trying to leave the hood and all the things that he sort of, he's like, oh, yeah, they expect this of me because I'm black. And actually that's not true. Do you know what I mean? Like, the stereotypical African-American man is not, is always sold as, like, a, you know, like a gangster or a gridiron player, a basketballer, right? But he's like, I'm an academic. <laughs> Where do I fit into all of that? You know, like all these stereotypes that he was expected to love up to, he wanted to step away from, you know. And he, he wrote a couple of really beautiful books. And another one he wrote about having a white daughter because his wife is a white French lady. And then all his notions of race started changing when he's got this blue-eyed daughter who's like, you know, part of his blood. And he's like, what is race? But like a social idea. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. Like our skin color is different and maybe, I don't know, but I think it would be like racist to say, well, we think differently on account of our race. Do you know what I mean? Like where we're born makes a difference. Like, but like, um, that's a cultural thing. Do, do, do you know what I mean? It's not an inherent thing. Do you know what I mean? If I grew up in Senegal, maybe I'd be really different, even if my skin color was different. Do you know what I mean? And I feel right, really up, kind of like confused trying to figure out the new anti-racism. I've kind I don't even know how I got onto this topic, but like, you know, you talk about these divisions and agreeing to disagree. It is a whole thing in like the academic world now and in the social justice world now, right? Like, and it kind of, I don't know, it seems weird to me because I feel like we should be finding all the things that we have the same man not all the things we have different, different eh? is that stupid no, i don't know no. you can tell me i'm no, a man, with. A step. Like, no 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 Richie, man. do you know what i'm talking about no, yeah, like yeah, have you seen that conversation yeah you know like i'm this this and this speaking as a this this and that do you know what i mean like okay cool your intersectionality and your lived experience counts for something but like um is it everything i don't know because I feel like my skin color is the fucking least interesting thing about me. You know, like, doesn't have any. And I quote, I'm paraphrasing a woman called Aisha Kambi, who I followed online a few years ago. She did this video on, like, cancer culture, and then she did another one on wokeness. She's a black lesbian from the UK. She's such a smart woman. She's so smart. If you if this was like the Joe Rogan experience, I'd be like, Jamie, pull up Guy Shitakambi. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'd be like, Brad, pull up my G Shitakambi. Because she's so cool. And like I've DM'd her a couple of times. She messaged me back and I was full fanboying. Oh, man. And all the stuff I've just said in the last half hour, which might offend some viewers, I learned from people like her and Thomas Chatterton Williams and, and like Coleman Hughes. Because I want to try and, I guess, 
yeah, I want everyone to like love everyone. That's like my whole driving force, you know, like, and I get frustrated that a lot of left wing conservative, um, progressive people seem like so fixated on these differences in, in, in activist spaces. And it makes me real sad, man. Cause, um, yeah, everyone I love is different to me, basically. Yeah. All my friends eat meat and do drugs and speak New Mayan and fucking, you know, like, and we're all just fine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're Doesn't right. mean that, like, yeah, sure. You know, we talk about statistics. Some people, you know, we're talking about alcohol in South Auckland and poverty and all these sorts of things. But it goes back to what you said. It seems like more economic and class-based than... I don't know. I don't. I don't even know if I have the right answer. But this it's is the good. stuff that I'm thinking about. What do you think? Man, I think I think we make it so complex. We make it so complex. When That's it's so what familiar. I feel like. I just You're talk. Right. Yeah. So You're right. I think we make it so hard for people. And I think, and, and then all of a sudden, it's all about race. It's about color of the skin, and and then. And straight away, you, you say a lot of the political issues or social issues in terms of, or even now, race uh, relations, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, you said it early on in terms of Martin Luther King Jr. Re- regardless of, you can, you can be, like, I can, Jedi and Samoan and, and Maori, and, and you can, we can still be tickets, but, you know, be, oh, for each other. Oh, but, you know, and then you get another guy who's pro-European or Chinese or Asian, and like, man, and because the character outshines the, is more valuable than, mm. the, than the skin, it's like, oh, sheesh, this guy's pretty cool. <laughs> It's like, cool, this, this, this is awesome. But we kind of, you know, face value, oh, straight away, oh, Asian, Islander. But, you know, without even getting to know them and not realizing, realizing later on, like, man, this is an awesome guy. Hard. So we, we make it so complicated, man. It, yeah, cool. I know, it bumps me out. I remember a few years ago we had Doko Uso. Yeah, Doko Uso, yeah, Doko Uso. I was like, that's fucking cool. Like, because there is a historical rivalry between Tonga and Samoa. I remember going up in Calston, I was like, yo, there's some mad scraps, you know? And I was like, oh shit, I'm just over here, just chilling on the side, <laughs> right? Like, there's this separation. And I'm like, nah, man, we need more togetherness. And I worry that a lot of this modern political culture that you see on the news and social media and act- young activists, well-intentioned young activists, using that language, imported from America, ideas imported from America, it just seems to be getting in the way of our, that togetherness. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's, like it's, like it's causing more division <coughs> than, than anything else. Is. That's what I feel, but I'm, you know, I'm white Lebanese. And, like, the only time I've ever experienced someone being racist is when I lived in Australia and people were talking about Lebos and Wogs. And not to me, because I don't look Arabic, but my grandfather's Arabic, right? He's passed now. But, like, I, my family, you know, from that and look different and lost their language and because they're immigrants, you know? And so I remember people saying all this, like, quite racist stuff. And I was like, oh, so I'm being racially offended now. And I was like, hey, bro, fuck up. Or, you know, like, you know, like, <laughs> talk about, you know what I mean? So maybe I'm speaking from a position of privilege and ignorance. But, like, I've had lovers who are Samoan and, or Maori, like, long-term girlfriends and stuff. And, I, and they've told me about being called the N-word when they were little kids. And I've talked to their fathers who came over during the dawn raids. And I do understand that racism is alive historically and is alive now. And some people are racist. And, you know, I've talked about all this economic structural stuff tonight. 
But like, do we still need to fixate on those differences? I don't, I don't know, man. I'm asking you guys because your perspective is different yeah. to mine because you're Samoan and I'm Balangi. What do you? Yeah. yeah, do I'm curious on your answer. Yeah, it's interesting. You just made me think about a paper I did um, at university and it really focused on, uh, I think it was like critical race theory or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, this is the shit I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And um, we were learning about white privilege and all this sort of stuff. And I found it quite confronting learning about it. And, um, you know, classes, a whole mixed bag. So there's some Pakia, Maori, someone, like a whole melting pot within the, the cohort. But just thinking about how uncomfortable it must have been for my classmates who were Pakia to hear that. Even though I know that they're growing up, you know, they're in South Auckland, the struggle's real for them just as much as it is for me in terms of poverty. But now they're feeling like, oh, they've got some white privilege card that maybe they haven't cashed in yet because their life is still as hard. And I found it weird because I thought they must feel uncomfortable. And then I thought it really made me I felt really frustrated and angry because it made me think now I have someone to blame for mm. my hardship growing up. And I was like, it took me a little while to really reflect on it and think, actually, that's not right. That's just me looking for somewhere, an outlet to be like, it's your fault. I live this life and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just felt it was really weird to learn about that as I'm trying to be a teacher that's objective and seeing everyone yeah. equally. Well, that is part of that whole cultural discussion, right? Like in America, some people argue that you shouldn't have critical race theory in schools, right? I'm not an expert on it. So anyone listening to me, like take it with a grain of salt. And, but I don't know. I think we should be able to talk about slavery, dawn raids. You know, my bro, um, Tom Hearn, have you had him on the show? Oh, sure. you should talk to Tom Hearn. He's a cool guy. He did that show, um, Panthers. You seen that? Yeah, bro. It's such a good show. Like those things are real. Right, if your parents are like forcibly deported, it's gonna have an impact on your life outcome. Do you remember that um, homebrew song? Um, and it had that old National Party ad in the cartoon, and it was real racist. Do you remember that? It was only like a couple of generations ago when we had quite racist national television ads about our Pacifica people, right? Yeah, is it the, wasn't it Robert Muldoon? Yeah, 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 yeah. Robert Muldoon voiceover. The song's called <laughs> "Listen to Us" by Light like Homebrew. Do you know that song? I think we can acknowledge all those historical racist things, but then also like, do we always have to see each other's race? Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do I have to treat you differently, and you have to treat me differently? Because in some workplaces, they have like racial division, like affinity groups now. Like, I'll oh, find your racial affinity group. I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> what are we going to, like, I don't know if that happens in Muay Thai. Do you know, like, that'll be stink because everyone's just a human being. We all bleed red, you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and some people would say that the stuff I'm saying is conservative, but it doesn't feel conservative to me. Like, I feel like it's love and love is, like, actually liberatory and love is revolutionary. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know any of the answers. It's just shit I think about when you... This all stems from your question about cool. how do we learn to live together. There's so much like, I can't be friends with you because you think this. Do, do you know I what I mean? I think you're right, though, in terms of mm. acknowledging is absolutely so important. But I think you're right in the sense that it shouldn't be... It shouldn't define us. We can acknowledge the hardship that's come, but it shouldn't be, before you learn anything about me, 
know this about yeah yeah that's yeah, it okay yeah because yeah. you know you know my dad's from Manurewa, you know like i grew up visiting grandma and pop on jellico road you know and you're like yeah imagine if you're a white dude in the hood and fucking heaps of bad shit happened to you and then there's some rich brown person from fucking epsom trying to tell you that, that you've got the privilege to that is something that I, I, bu- I bug out about. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. You're on a six-figure salary at a university, and this person is working a real rough job for 20 bucks an hour or whatever in a warehouse that they hate, and they drink heaps of Cody's every night because life's so depressing. How is this person privileged over this person? Do you, know what I, do you know what I mean when we think about the economics and the social status and the social hierarchy of it? I interviewed a dude for this. I used to have a little podcast. I haven't used it forever, but he was real cool. And um, he was in the UK. And he said to me, yeah, he, he was a, um, he's from like a, the Caribbean or something, you know, person of color. And he was really thoughtful and smart. I, I feel embarrassed. I forget his name, but he's like, yeah, what privilege does a homeless man have? irrespective of their skin color and it goes back to what you said bro like maybe it's an economic thing more than a racing and maybe that's part of the factor but yeah kind of some shit i think about these days because of it's an election year and social media and if you're in activist spaces people talk about this stuff all the time but for me like i don't know like kind of seems to get in the way of love and healing i'm you know i don't know sorry i forgot i'm embarrassed no, 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 no. that's cool bro that's cool bro sort of made me think about a thought just randomly um, about how I heard someone say something like um, the reason people use stereotypes is there they just don't have the time to get to know you mm. stereotypes are just easier ways to sort people into categories mm. because we can just shortcut to this thing even if it's not 100% correct it's sort of ballpark for, like ballpark um, and it just made me think about how it's easier to define someone by race than it is to like know about the economic status. Mm. And then also just going back to some of some of the other stuff you can mention, I was like, so who benefits from having us fight about race and having us define people by race? Like there must be, I don't know if it's corporations or politicians or whoever, but social media, companies. someone is, mm. is benefiting from the landscape that we live in let's, right now. I mean, let's not get it wrong. Like George Floyd was murdered by like nine minutes, 46 seconds of a white cop on his neck. Right. Like we can acknowledge that that's a terrible thing. And you know, uh, Rodney King and all these American things, and then we have disproportionate rates of young brown people in our country having police interactions, right? We can acknowledge all these sorts of things exist, but also find, yeah, like stepping outside of those stereotypes and getting to know one another in our day-to-day and in our community and looking at how do we get those economic supports irrespective of skin color, I guess. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I've just kind of gone this huge <laughs> exploration with you. I hope that's okay. That's, that's beautiful, cool. though. I, I feel really, like, nervous now. No, no, no that's, that's beautiful. Though. I think it's that's good. part of having a conversation. You yeah. don't, we don't have the conversation knowing where it's going to end. Me neither, and We're it's real weird, because, like, <laughs> I feel quite, like, high now. I mean, I don't use drugs, <laughs> but, like, I feel like I'm not really thinking about what I'm saying, and I probably should be, because it's a public <laughs> show. I'm just, like, talking with you like you're my mates, it's and cool, it's like... Man. 
two thirty in the morning. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you remember those two thirty ones? And you're like, whoa, bro, what a <laughs> you know? Like, do you know what I mean? That's yeah, how yeah, I feel yeah, talking yeah, with you guys sure. now. And uh, yeah, maybe it's gonna get me in trouble. I hope not. But hey, but it's cool. But it is, it is a cool conversation. It is because it's just a conversation of, of me and brothers getting together and talking. And the cool thing about it, look, you're white, we're brown, and there's no like, oh my gosh, straight away it's like, hey, we're brothers. That's what I feel about fucking people all the time. Like it honestly hasn't been until like the last five years following the American conversation where I've thought about this stuff as much as I do now. And maybe that's privilege. Maybe I've never had to think about my fucking skin color because no one's ever treated me differently or differential negatively because of my skin color. Maybe that's privilege. And that's probably true. Maybe people have treated you badly because you can go, I don't know your lives. Definitely people I know and love who are brown have been called bad words and and like disadvantage, right? And that's a good thing. It's good that I think about that. But then I worry that we go to the nth degree of it. And then I'm like, yeah, I hope no one like, uh, uh, yeah, it's those stereotypes. How do we break down those stereotypes? Because I think, a lot of like conservative people are starting to like be fucking racist. <laughs> like actually, you know what I mean? You know, I saw the N word spray painted on a multi party sign mm. going around social media recently. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that person feels aggrieved because maybe we're talking about this, this and this in a way that they don't understand. And now they're being actually racist when maybe we could have brought them in if we talked with them, not, made them feel do you know what I mean mm. I don't know I don't really know I'm just trying to figure it out so it's interesting you mentioned that you know this this um this afternoon I was driving past I saw the national sign oh I saw the Chris Chris uh, Christopher Luxon and I think I forgot who the other politician was I saw this what's it like a Someone did the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got some, so we got some like angry white dude calling people the N-word. And then we got someone, it was probably like a real woke white dude who did that swastika, to be honest with you. Like putting that, you know what I mean? Everyone's a Nazi now. Do you know? Do you see that on social media? Nazis, fascists. And then on the other end of it is like people being actually racist or homophobic or transphobic, like being really gross about minorities. And I feel like these extremes sort of dominate, you know what I mean? Like the conversation that we see on the media. But when four brothers get in the room, no one cares about any of that shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm I just, know. I just get a bit stressed about it. Like probably too much. I'm quite an anxious person. You might have picked that up. And um, I'm always like thinking. I thought, we're go- I thought yeah. more, more passionate. I seem more passionate, bro. I am very passionate. It gets me in trouble sometimes. Do you know what I mean? But really, it all just comes because, like, I fucking don't want anyone to hurt anymore. Yeah. I want everyone to, like, love and, like, not be scared and be who they want to be. And, um, yeah, I just worry about some of the ideas that come from both sides of the extreme are not good ideas. Yeah. And then, like, there's somewhere in the middle. I've become, like, I used to be, like, super left wing out in the streets with, you know, the Greens and Jacinda and all this shit and vote uh, and you're a piece of shit if you don't vote that way uh, you know what i mean like in my 20s but that's not cool that's that telling people off thing like yo just if you find the core of humanity in other people and sit with them patiently i think that's a better pathway to ch- change do you know um, who daryl davis is 
Davis? Nah. Yo, Daryl Davis is a black man in America who sits down with members of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, he's a, yeah. And, 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 and just is like, yo, what's going on? And he'd like, has he made like hundreds of men leave the clan, like proper cross burning fucking racist dudes. And he just does it not through like cancel culture and outrage culture and blah, 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 but just finding the, the humanity in yeah. each other. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Finding the love in each other and the sheer knowledge in one in each other and the sheer experiences in one each other. And Daryl Davis is part and spokesman of an organization which I really like in America. And I talk about America because we would be ignorant to say that America doesn't affect New Zealand, right? Called Foundation Against Intelligence and Racism. And they have this very much this colorblind, universalist approach to dealing with race issues, which is quite opposite to the sort of critical race theory notion of dealing with race issues. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And I really like Daryl Davis's approach. I think that's a good approach. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think if you, yeah, when you really think about it, um, brothers, you know, if you strip away all the culture or skin color and so forth, you know, we 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 need the same organs to breathe as human <laughs> beings. We're, we're, we're pretty much the, the same. We have the same essential needs and uh, to live. Yes, all that kind of stuff. I think, man, and why why is it that we just focus on so much on on, on the color of skin? And yeah, just, I hate that. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like yeah. it makes me really angry that people are racist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. but then it also makes me really angry that someone might judge my little kids on their skin color. Do, do you know what I mean? Or presume anything about anyone based on such a superficial thing? It's crazy. It's sad. It's sad you know, because you just feel like it just ends up being in another cycle, a cycle, yeah. and cycle, and then yeah, yeah, just more division, more hatred, yeah. and that sucks, man. We want to come together. I think I read somewhere that like race relations are like not. Jamie, like where's Jamie? Like, like, um, like, the, you know they're tense right now, and social media hasn't helped that. You know what I mean? There's, you know, if you're a woman of color, you get more online abuse. Do you know what I mean? How do we reach those angry men? It might be Pakeha or not. I don't know. Like, not be so abusive. You know, I don't know. Like, I'm not entirely sure that saying that there's this white hetero privilege. Is the way to like address them. How do we call them in without putting their identity at the forefront of who they are? You know what I mean? Fuck, I don't know. Anyone listening to anyone, if you haven't turned this off yet, anyone who doesn't, oh yeah, don't edit this out. Maybe you should. Like, I don't know the answer. I'm just trying to explore these ideas. True. It's, it's been a good conversation, AJ. It's just been a real good convo. I appreciate it. I appreciate that the, the, the frankness, because I don't know, we can, um, yeah, my, my, my agent is going to be like, well, you did what? <laughs> you talk about race for half an hour? Um, just so you know, my agent didn't book this, like, but I do have an agent sometimes. Oh, good, man. Yeah, this has been really fun. Like, I was really thrilled you invited me. I hope it was worth your time. Absolutely. For um, sure, man, for sure. I don't even know if you wanted to talk about anything shit I talked about. Hey, man, nothing's off the table, bro. So if it was anything that just came up, whether it was race or whatever, but anything to help our people, help our men in general. And just people in general, because, you know, I think people might be like, oh, man, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting this, but, man, I'm glad I kind of went down this route. Yeah, it's funny we ended up talking about this. We yeah. didn't talk about kickboxing once. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing I do the most. I just teach people of all ethnicities how to throw a good left hook, right kick. <laughs> That's it's my funny, shit. though, because I bet 
almost everyone listening has has thought about this and maybe not had the opportunity to mm. think aloud. Bro, I'm terrified right now. I'm going to walk out of here and be like, I'm going to get cancelled. That seems something <laughs> wrong. I'm being honest. I'm real stressed about it. But, that, but maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, how do we talk with each other about difficult things in a polite way? You know, like, we don't yeah. do that. We get in there as echo chambers. Exactly. I don't know the answer, but I'm really, really thrilled to sit down with um new friends yeah. different lives than me and just have a nice really nice conversation well there you go you just proved the point yeah we can uh, regardless if we disagree or what but we can all come to an agree and to disagree and still be friends look you're in the midst of some Samoan Mori brothers here so <laughs> yeah but, so. but that, that's it like I, I i don't see you as that do you see me as white lebanese no i just think you're richie hardcore that's what i think so, you know, obviously, obviously you, you're white, but, you, but we didn't come up. Oh, I don't, you yeah, don't, yes. And some but, tattoos yeah. too, bro. Got a bit of that color yeah, in there. But, yeah. <laughs> no, but like, um, yeah, that's what I think yeah. too. Like, I never am like, ooh, how do I treat this person differently? Like, because my friend's fucking Nigerian, you know, like all sorts. And then I just don't think that seeing skin deep is a yeah, good way to yeah. build a better world. Do yeah. you? Do you? Yeah, no, you're right. And I love what you said. You said humane. It's the human the human part. It's like what the you human. said, bro. You said, like, we all need the same things. Yeah. We all need love. We all need food. We all need connection. We all need a sense of purpose. And um, doesn't matter, like, what our fucking, the arbitrary, none of us choose it. the yeah, stupid yeah, meat yeah, yeah. sack around yeah. us. Yeah. You know, like, it's just luck. Or not even luck, just like, it's just nothing. And, yeah, I don't know. It just annoys me that yeah. people put superficial things in front of our hearts. It's cool. Like, hopefully people who are watching this and listening to this are like, man, you know what? Maybe I should talk to that person over there and without looking at the screen colour. Like, man, maybe I should have to just... Give up a, a bit of time. Is that maybe I'm, maybe I've pre maybe I've, all my preconceived ideas and prejudging like maybe I, maybe I am wrong. I just I just just have a chat and to learn and understand. Get to know this person. So I think that's the hope. The hope, um, brothers, that people will kind of stop and say, "Hey, you know what? I'll just get to know that person for who he is." I love or that who so she much. Is, who she is, or who, who, who they are, are, who they are, yeah, who they are. I um I love that so much. It's a beautiful soundbite. Because that's what I hope too. You know what I love is when I'm um, I'm at the supermarket and I just talk to whoever's next to me. I'm weird like that. I'm like, love how your shoes match your top. You know, like, <laughs> I'm that guy. And um, bro, I say to a bro, am I looking fresh, G? And no one cares. You know what I mean? Like, or you go traveling, you know, and um, everyone's different to you because you're in Japan or wherever. If you're lucky economically enough to have that opportunity. And you find those shared things, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. If I ever won multi-billion dollars, I would just let everyone go somewhere different. It'd be like mandatory. You have to go hang out <laughs> in an environment that you're not you get used to. to. Get to know them, yeah. yeah. Hey, this has been really fun. Bro. I really yeah, appreciate been, you guys. Been, Thanks for having me. Um, I'm sorry if I went all over the place. 
But please don't apologize, Richie. This is this, this is what this. I do. I talk really honestly, and then I have this massive hangover of anxiety. <laughs> oh, no. Afterwards. Oh, man. We don't want you to feel that way, no, bro. No, it's not you. It's me. Like, I just came in here, and I just was hot tonight. I was like, let's go. I just, my brain is going full up. And, um, but this has been really fun. I really enjoyed meeting you. I really love what you're doing with your podcast. Um, I hope this was enjoyable for you and anyone watching it. Bro, got some out of it yeah mere props mere props to you man you too keep in touch no we, sure. we will we will Absolutely. man for yeah, sure yeah. no we will man yeah it's been really cool because you've had so many men i admire on this show you know um that we were talking about earlier so i'm really thrilled to be in good company thank you very much props man thank you so much as well uh but brother oh, do you want to say a few words um yeah yeah just uh, a few yeah. closing remarks um first of all i think i i love the way that the conversation was like exploration. We just walked where the conversation went. And I think sometimes we have to risk crossing a line in order to explore and find new understanding or like new common ground. Um, so I just really appreciate the way that you were able to have that um, honest conversation with us. Um, the other thing was, I think you helped me realize a few things. And one of the things was that I think the channel... The channel of change is through our humanity. We can protest all we want, we can argue online all we want, but in the, at the end of the day, it all comes down to our humanity. And you mentioned about the power of love and how love is exploratory, it's love is liberation. Um, mm. And there was this one really interesting thing that when I was researching you, I thought, honestly, I, it was my favorite thing about you. And it was really simple. And it was that I heard that you have a Spanish tattoo that says, I pray another world mm. is possible. And I just thought, what an awesome thing to have tattooed. Yeah. And in the conversation, that's come through that that's not just a cool phrase. That's part of who you are, part of your mission. And I just think in this moment as like a time capsule, when your kids get older, I hope they can look at this as just a small token of the, the man that you are and be like, man, my dad is cool. He <laughs> dreamed of making the world a better place and that was how he lived. So just want to give you props. Really appreciate your time. And honestly, just as an individual, I learned so much from our conversation tonight. And thank you so much for taking the time out to be with us. Appreciate you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I feel props. a bit choked up. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You went deep on the interviews. <laughs> There's a lot out there. It's not all good. Um, yeah, I do have that to do. I was in Mexico. I've been to Mexico a few times and I did a degree in Latin American politics and like the poverty there is real, you know, and yeah, they had this whole movement. Uh, another world is possible. And I put, I pray in front of it. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. So I know you guys do too. If you ever do anything, like movement-wise, please include me. I, I'm just a big. I'm down to like. It's cool, man. Do it together. Cool. <laughs> so cool. All right. Thank you very much. Nice. Thank you for that. That was a really nice of you to say. No I, I, I hope my kids do think I'm cool and not just this thing, Dad. <laughs> oh, bro, they will, man. I have to agree. Cause you guys too, for real, bro. Oh hey, uh, man, yeah, we do. Hundred, yeah. Appreciate everything you, you've said. And bro, please, uh, yeah, obviously you say, oh, I'm feeling a bit anxious of what's, what I've been just saying, but hey, bro, I, I think you can never go wrong when you're speaking truth. Bro, that's kind of where I've come to be. My wife is like, look, you censor yourself a lot. You actually like really, you just put this like professional tone on everything because you're scared. Just be yourself. And that's what I'm trying to be. 
That's awesome, bro. Uh, yeah, Shout out, Claire. It. I'm sorry, I'm Missy. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm real Missy. But no, all good. Hey, Charles says, oh, like Charles says, his, his regards. Yeah, peace. He, sorry, uh, sorry, couldn't meet you. Yeah. Hey, have him back next year. Oh, we will. We will. That'd we'll, be we'll, fun. We'll, we'll definitely have you back on again for part two, um, <laughs> Richie, and see what yeah, see what else is on, see what on, other on, crazy on, yeah, stuff the, I can talk about on yeah. the horizons. But <laughs> we always um, we always give our gift a gift. Uh, oh. I guess a gift. No. And so, bro, you uh, uh, we always do a bit of a caricature, a bit of a, a, a cartoon of our, our guest. So, on behalf of the mandate team, this is for you, our brother. Oh, wow. You do this? Did one of you guys do this? Yeah, yeah bro. Oh, no, bro. You. Yeah, I'm, you've made me way more um, handsome than I actually am. Bro, Look man. at those cheekbones <laughs> on here. That's so nice. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, bro. Just no, thank you. Thank you for your time. I am so flattered that you did this for me. Thank you. It's oh, really nice. I no, appreciate it. No, no, thank you for your this time. This is cool. I'm going to show my girl. She's like, oh, damn, you're the man. Got my medallions. <laughs> Sir. No, awesome, man. Very Thanks, well, thank guys. You, no, you guys are you. awesome. No, I appreciate it. So just before you go, um, um, Richie, is there, is there anyone that you can think of that would be ideal? Obviously, you mentioned a few names yeah, early on, that? but who do you think would be uh, kind of like, oh, man, just, you should Both have talk this guy. To. Okay, I'll give, can I give you a list? Yeah, yeah. So you should have my bro, Peter Thorburn. Thorburn. He's the man. Uh Alcohol, drug counsellor, fascinating life, works with heaps of rangatahi, super knowledgeable, awesome. You should have um, you should have Tom, um, Tom Hearn. He's a film director. He did the show Panthers, and he's done a lot of other good stuff. He's a really great guy to talk with. I really love Tom. He became a father um, recently. He's got a couple of little ones. He's just a, fucking really cool, you know. Um, who else do I really love? Oh, there's heaps of really. Um, you should talk to. Do you know Thomas Sainsbury? Oh, he's a comedian. He was on my podcast once. He's a comedian. Um, he's really clever and like he's. Um, he's quite. He's probably quite different to a lot of the guests that you have. And I'd encourage you to talk to him. Cool. Reach out to him. Like you can check out his chat with me on my old podcast. I'm not hyping my podcast. I haven't done it in two years. But, like, he's cool. Like, he's an interesting guy to talk with. If you want to talk to a man who might be a bit different to some of your other guests, you know what I mean? Awesome. Um, yeah, those are three guys that spring to mind as, like, cool. As, as cool people. Oh, Kai Cutter France. Oh, bro, You know, he's bro. a great dude. Dan Hooker. All those guys are, like, really cool to talk with, you know? Like, they're good conversationalists. Cool, for sure, man. Um, you know, and they're good fathers. And... I think they walk in a good mix between um, old school masculinity and new school masculinity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think those dudes are all awesome. Bro, no, we would definitely hit them up, man. Awesome, man. Thanks There's heaps of good men out there. I should I sit down and write a proper list. Have you had William Whitewer on here? No, no. Bro, no, he's funny. I don't know him personally, but um, he cracks me up. <laughs> hard He cracks me up so hard And I, when I'm talking to boys I'm like here's some men who I think are cool right Because I want to like Give them some anti-Andrew Tate vibes And he's just a dancing guy Who's like quite like Fruity and like weird And like hilarious Do you know what I mean? Like that dude's hilarious Did you, ever, did you talk to um, What's her name? C.W. Winks? Is that what, you know who I'm talking about? She used to be real funny. Um, 
She's on. She had. She did that thing with Pete and Pio. Um, oh shit! It's real late. Um, uh, what's her name? I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up. It's conversations with. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm messing it up. Sorry, sister. If you're watching this. Oh no, Nix. CW Nix. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Not CW yeah, Wings. Yeah, Holy yeah. shit! She's got two hundred eight thousand followers on Instagram. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She's huge. Yeah, we've heard of her. Yeah, I've seen some of her clips. You she's, might need to talk to her agent like, first because she's hilarious. She's, she, but she's <laughs> funny, bro. She's real funny. I didn't realize she had such a huge following these days. Wow. But I, fo- I used to follow. I don't for whatever reason she's not coming up with my algorithm a lot. But she's real funny. And she's had that. She's lived that life, bro. And like she's been on a journey, as far as I can tell. She'd be cool to talk to. Cool, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Awesome, bro. Okay. But cool, bro. But thanks um, for having me. In no, here for no, so no long. worries. We'll get you to say because um, always get, uh, get our guests to say that a, Sorry, a few next. last words or yeah. last words of encouragement to our listeners and viewers. Any last words? Um, Richie? Um, if you've listened this far, <laughs> thank you. I, I, um, I do do a lot of public exploration of difficult ideas and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way, but that's not my intention. I really want the best for everyone and I really want to live in a society where love and connection is front and center what we put between us. Because, you know, my day-to-day life is seeing the sad side of a lot of our world. And I, I, I really want to bring people together. I feel like kind of fracturing a bit, if I'm honest with you, and I want to bring people together and I want I want to have more conversations like this. And if you're watching this, I want you to have conversations like this. And I don't want you to unfollow the person who said one thing that you disagree with, but you agree with everything else. You know what I mean? I want you to put love and connection in the forefront of your co-papa, whatever it is, your workplace or your home or, you know? And um, yeah, I think I want to accentuate the positive. You know, I talk about the problems of men. Most men are awesome. Most men aren't violent. Most men are cool and funny and loving and insecure and gentle. The stuff that makes our headlines is the opposite of that. So let's us tell those stories too, you know, about our kings, you know. Mm. That's what I'd like to say. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much once again, Richie Hardcore. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. We look, we look forward to your well thought out comments. And as usual, Jay, refine, unlock, and take, take charge. charge. Thanks, Richie. Mandate.